What's going on, everybody? I'm Kevin from Cigar Prop, and each and every week we come to you live on the I Tap That Cigar Show on our YouTube channel. We interview someone fun and exciting in the cigar world, and then about a week later, we upload that audio to various podcasting platforms. That's what you're listening to now. We try and cut out a lot of the stuff that won't make sense because you're listening to it instead of watching it. But if something doesn't make sense and you want to watch it, in the description is the link that will take you to our YouTube so you can watch the interview instead of listening to it. But if you want to continue listening to it, thank you. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. All right, so uh, waiting patiently in the Experience Acid Green Room is Steve Saka, owner of Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust. And I'm a little nervous. We have 81 people watching. That is uh, about 50 more than normally watch. So I'm not going to lie. Good. How's it going, Steve? Here nice, to Steve. Learn some stuff. Wait a minute. Am I getting like money from Drew Estate because I'm in the green room? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. My room. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I want my well, cut here. What yeah. do I get out of this? I, I, will, I will message Joe Grow. Like, uh, <laughs> um, Steve needs. Uh, so much uh, is cut. I was not asking for something he doesn't deserve. He just said I was in the Drew Estate green room. Yeah, yeah, the, the, yeah. the experience acid green room. Oh, I'm sorry. The so, experience so whatever, um, whatever acids that you want, I'll make sure that I, I, um, I get those. They should be provided to you to the right in the green room, Steve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so. We just finished up. We uh, we did like a month long promotion. Evan Darnell, Red Meat Lovers Club. You were posting too. We just finished uh, up with that event. What what were your what are your final thoughts of that event? Um, I think for consumers it was a really good event. I think everyone had a great time. Um, you know me. All I am is hypercritical. I saw all sorts. <laughs> I mean, I just uh, and I and I'm going to talk to Evan about them privately because I don't want to dog him on it. Um, but. I think the event could be, I think it could even be a better experience than it was. And given that I thought it was really a, first off, the venue was fantastic. The concept was fantastic. The food was fantastic. I think the cigars were great, but I, I, I think it just needs a little bit more. It was a little too hodgepodge a little too bizarre. You know what I mean? I don't mean bizarre with an I, I mean bizarre with an A. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think yeah. it, I, th I think I think it could be tightened down a bit. That would just make it a more. Uh, I, I think you can make it even a better experience for everyone there. But everyone I've talked to said it was amazing. I mean, what did you think? You you were there as consumers, so I I, I had a blast. Um, uh, I I would definitely you know I I was hurt a little bit with my knee, so I couldn't move around as 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 freely as I wanted. But I I had a blast. I thought it was fun. I thought it could be tightened up a little bit. It was a little bit of like a free for all almost like there were, there wasn't a lot of structure to the event, not a lot of, you know, organization, um, well, you know, clarity so. of what was going well, on I when think for people who are new to events or even that type of a, an event, it was a little confusing. And I do just think it, you know, since it was the first one of that kind, it will be better the next time, you know, yeah, it just I, needed to be a little consolidated. I think. Yeah. I think the multiple ticket levels is too confusing. I think people not knowing where they're supposed to sit or not sit wasn't designated well enough. I, I just, yeah. the, the way the, the bourbon got distributed was rather peculiar. Like I said, 
I just said I wasn't going to talk about it publicly, and here yeah. I am. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it was. It was definitely. It was awesome, and everyone there had awesome a good time. Event. So you, you that's... go to an awesome event, and look. Yeah. Uh, no offense to my man Abe, uh, you know the great smoke he did twenty odd years ago was a very pale shadow of what the one is currently today. Oh yeah. And as you do these things, they you know. learn something every time you do yeah. them, and the idea is that you can improve it. But even that, even saying that, I think that it was a great event. I mean, and just the venue alone was just amazing to do a cigar dinner on the battleship. And so cool. And the, oh, yeah. and the fact that like all the live auctions and the silent, like how well they did, yeah. I mean, yeah. to raise the money, that, that was yeah. cool. And I, and I think, really I cool. think next time, cause I didn't know the area, I'll, we'll definitely pregame, like go there, do some tailgating beforehand, you know, get some people hanging out cause they have that nice park area. So it'll definitely be definitely some things that uh we can do different. So, yeah. So for, for sure. So, um, but we're not here to talk about the Red Meat Lovers Club. We're here to talk about Stillwell Star, the line of cigars you came out with. But how long has it been? It's been, it's been over a year, hasn't no, it? it? hasn't. No. I introduced them at the last trade show for sale, and we delivered them in October. That's what I'm saying. Really? Everybody, yeah. Everybody's sense of time is so skewed. It's like <laughs> we, we on our side spend two to three years working on this shit. And for you guys, it's already old within six months. Oh, yeah. that's done. You know Ke what I mean? It's ridiculous. Kevin it's part is of not the, good with geography. Part of the problem with our time. industry is like <laughs> the industry does not incentivize good work right now. The no, no. Yeah. Consumers yeah. do not incentivize manufacturers to actually make good cigars because consumers are so quick to, oh, that was yesterday. What's now new? Now, if they're really, really super, super, they'll survive that. You know what I mean? Because, look, I'm still selling Sober Mesa and Mike Rita's that I launched a year ago, and their sales are continuing to grow. It is possible. But you also have to weather the downturn of the next two to three years of new crap before the consumers kind of circle back and go, you know what? That was actually really good. Why am I not smoking that instead mm -hmm. of this garbage that they keep feeding me? But as an as a industry, the way it currently is, there is really no incentive for most manufacturers to actually make quality products because you guys don't give a fuck. You're just going to buy whatever's new, no matter what it is. And you're going to rave about it too, because it's new. Cause guess what? There'll be something new next year for you to rave about. You think, you think we've entered the, the, this, this part of the cigar band and the story versus the quality of the cigar. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, and, that, and that's the reason why, um, I mean, I spent all of last year, all of 2021, we only did five cigar reviews all in 2021. I circled back and hit all of my favorite cigars. I was smoking just everything that I once loved. And I, yeah, I was smoking like new stuff if, if manufacturers sent them out to me, but. Of course, everyone know, does. I, I understand yeah, it. Yeah. You know, but, but I, but I circled back and that's, and that's why I said, and mm -hmm. you know, the Sober Mesa, El Americano ended up being my number one cigar of the year. Cause it was early in the year. I started smoking that and it's like, God, you know, it's like, you know, I smoked a half a dozen the year prior. You know, and then I and then I end up going through, I don't know, three, four, five, six boxes, and and, and it was just one after yeah, the I'll other. Yeah, I'll try new cigars, but I I'll, I definitely go back to I fall back on the ones that I like the most, and and I'll just smoke those. You know, I'll try something once, and then if it really isn't anything, you know, that I find for my palate or that great, I just go right back to what I always like and know it's yeah. not going to disappoint. So, I mean, and the problem is if you actually care about the stuff. It's just too hard a lift. I mean, 
I'm working myself to the bone because I'm having to make all the new stuff too all the time. But I'm actually trying to make stuff that's actually worth buying and smoking five and ten years into the future. And yeah. I'm beginning to wonder if I'm just beating my head against the wall some days. Right. I, I'm not because I see our sales and I see how we're growing and I see how well we're doing and I see how the old lines – I call them old. Even I'm calling them old, and they're all of what <laughs> five years old. Um, you know, those are your your vintage lines. <laughs> it's so pervasive, right? I mean, that's just that's how it's become in our industry. I mean, yeah. I mean you got to think. I mean, Padrone anniversaries were late '90s. I mean, you know, Opus X was mid '90s. I mean, Oliva V's were well over 15 years ago. I mean, it it, it takes a while. You know what I mean? In order to to do, when you make really really quality stuff, it will eventually rise to the top. But you have to be able to grind your way through that with the retailer and with the consumer, mm-hmm. and you need to have the cash in order to float that. And it's really it's tough, particularly when you're a small company, because you're a small company, you're starving. You know, you need you need the money so bad all the time. It's it's really hard to it's really hard to sit there and be high and mighty and do the right thing when you can't afford to eat or pay your employees. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean it's it's just and that's the problem. You, the, our whole industry ends up on this crazy hamster wheel of just mediocrity, constantly churning, 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 churning. I mean it's 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 insanity. Yeah, you, you, you gotta, you gotta, it's you gotta feed the machine, and the machine are the influencers, the reviewers. And mm-hmm. I'm hoping now that YouTube is taking down so many people, I, I, I feel like that could be, you know, like a good thing for the manufacturers. Yeah, but, finally, I don't know. Part of it's the same thing. Look, the media sells news, and news is what's new. Yeah. Okay, so therefore, just the whole way the media works, and it doesn't matter whether it's the digital media or it was the print media. It's always the same. You know, it's really, it's really, really tough to get a brand to stick. There's yeah. so few that actually stick, stick, stick long term. Yeah. Some yeah. Companies that can stick, but even those companies, if you just think about how many brands they've had to release to survive the last 20 years, brands that have come and gone and, you know, I mean, I don't want to name companies. That's not my part, but everybody out there knows they could probably name four or five of them off the top of their head that have literally released like two to three brands every single year for the last 20 plus years, <laughs> yeah. you know, know, just to try to, because they need it. It's just, it's a sad fact of the way things are. The problem is it means that consumers don't get the best work. They don't get the best quality. They don't get stuff that's unique. And the thing is, I actually don't think most of the consumers out there even know the difference. I, I really, I think that there's, I think the number of consumers that actually can tell good from bad is relatively small. Yeah, I I, I agree. I I agree hundred hundred percent with that. You know, it just it just that they're they're chasing that dragon. They're just chasing. They they get it. They smoke it. They love it. They move on to the next. Well, and, and I, I think too because you have such a, a newer demographic of cigar smokers coming in that are just getting bad information or yeah. not getting the proper and they're getting bad cigars so. or they just don't know any you know any difference so so look when you're new as a smoker it's different you're you you're just learning yourself to decide right. what you like but let me say what does ultimately end up happening eventually consumers get tired of kissing all the girls 
and they go back to the ones they like the most and they just become their mainstays. And that's what ultimately will end up happening. So cigars that are really worthwhile, they will eventually become real blockbuster mm -hmm. sellers if the companies can do the right things with the brands and with the products over the duration to make it to that point. And, and that's really the key. And when you hit that point, then, then, then you're actually starting to make some real money. So there, there is a hope, but it really, <laughs> it takes, it takes, it takes most, cons most consumers tends to be somewhere. It starts right around in their fifties. And about at that point, they start to get really tired of trying all the stuff and they just say, you know what? I just want to relax and enjoy myself. And I know this is good. So I'm going to the humidor. I'm grabbing a Padron 1926. I don't care what else there is. I'm grabbing an Oliva V. I'm going to get whatever. You know what I mean? And what you're hoping is you're hoping that someday in the future, maybe brulee can fit for some consumer or Sin Compromiso can fit for some consumer. But you got to, you got to make that, you got to make that, you know, 10 to 20 year, 10 isn't even enough, really 15 to 20 year hike in order for that to happen. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm getting there, you know, um, I'm, I'm only, I'll be 45 this year, but, um, or 46, I can't you'll, remember. You'll be 45, 45. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, now I just don't know what I want. So I either go and I grab an FSG or I grab a sober Mesa. That's it. Just like, fuck it. I, I know what yeah. I want to relax to. What about you, Kara? Are you getting there? Getting there? How? I'm not 45. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, you're past 50. So are you? Are you there? Uh, yeah, what? I mean, listen, I, it, it's it, absolutely if, if right. You, if you didn't, if you didn't own your own cigar company, would you be there already? Like, well, no, I am. I mean, I, I like trying new stuff, but I think Steve's right. I think that there's just a lot of things out there, and it's that TikTok type mentality when it comes to cigars. It's what's new, what's flashy, what's got a cute band in the story, and. You just kind of go back to what is reliable, right? It's the reliable, the dependable, the, the consistent. And, um, and, and, and as Steve said, you know, as, as, as an owner, it's just being patient and just waiting it out, just sticking to those values and just hoping for a shot in there. It's really what it's all about. So I, I do it when I go into cigar lounges, I go into the humidor. I know where I'm going and, and what I'm looking for. Right on. Well, let's it's get not going to fail me. That's it. Well, let's get to tonight's um, uh, topic, the, the, the Stillwell Starts, which Steve is uh, smelling right now. But see, there's a couple things, I, um, um, a couple of terms, because I don't know everything about pipe tobacco terms. And as we go through these cigars, you know, I, I know we all have questions about the exact terms, but um, everybody is familiar with pipe tobacco. If you are, you always hear about um, English style, oriental, and aromatic. And mm -hmm. what it, I, I know it'd be probably hard to you know, condense those terms, but what do those three terms actually mean when it yeah, comes to well, pipe tobacco? Well, an aromatic pipe tobacco is typically one that's been topped in some way where they've added some sort of additional flavoring element to the tobacco. Now it can be done while they're still processing the tobacco, which would be called casing the tobacco, or it can be done after the tobacco blend is finished, which would be called topping the tobacco. And what you use as a topping can very dramatically. I mean, the pipe guys are crazy. They make all sorts of stuff. I mean, whether it be liquor or whether it be flavor agents or whether it be, you know, natural coffee or whether it even be, uh, you know, a little sprinkle of cardamom. They do, they do all sorts of crazy nonsense in the pipe segment. And um, so typically aromatics tend to be sweeter. They tend to, I mean, you have some aromatics that are like really, you know, the cherries and you know, all of that kind of stuff. I mean, there's one that's like, I can't even think of the name of it, but it's like almost grape flavored. 
I tend to like an occasional aromatic, but I like my aromatics very tempered. A lot of times I'll take an aromatic tobacco that I like that's manufactured by somebody, and then I'll cut it with like, I'll only use 25% of the aromatic, and I'll mix it into another style of blend. Oh, okay. Okay. Whereas typically an English blend is one that has no topping in it, and it's almost always some basis in Virginia's. That's kind of the core. It can be a combination of bright and yellows and goldens and reds, and they can be stoved or not stoved. But probably the key characteristic in almost all English blends are that they will have some degree of Latakia added into the blend. That's kind of a cornerstone in all English blends. And another thing that you'll typically have in an English blend is you'll have some sort of uh, you'll have some sort of Oriental tobaccos in them. And Orientals are the ones that primarily come from the Far East or the Mideast. And those are really, they're more like a condiment. You know what I mean? You don't tend to smoke just Oriental by itself, whether, okay. it be, whether it be Basma or any of these other types of tobaccos. And I'll tell everyone, I'm, I'm not a pipe tobacco expert. That's, that's the reason why I ended up partnering with Cornell and Deal. I'm, I'm a pipe smoker. I know what I like and what I don't like, but I am by no stretch a pipe tobacco expert. But Orientals are kind of a, they're kind of a, they're kind of more of an ingredient that gets added. Now you'll have some blends that are more Oriental forward. So they will sometimes call that blend an Oriental blend because it has more Oriental in it. But probably the other classifications that you have, they're like cornerstones. So you got aromatic as cornerstone, English is a cornerstone. You have another category called vapors, which is a combination of Virginias and Periques. That's kind of like a cornerstone style of pipe tobacco. And then you also have um, what's considered a traditional Navy style blend, which normally has uh, some sort of uh, rum incorporated into the tobacco. But normally the rum and depending on the depending on the Navy, it'll a lot of times it'll be done not as a topping, but it'll be done as a casing while the tobacco is being processed but it comes in both versions but typically navies will have some sort of alcohol involved in them and typically it'll be some sort of rum that'll be it the other kind of categories you have you have scottish which are a variation of english which are a little bit less latakia centric a little bit more oriental, oriental forward you have what they call balkans balkans are ones that are even more oriental forward and tend to be much stronger you have another kind of cornerstone, which is kind of like American type style blends, which will typically be a combination of some sort of Virginia's with typically some sort of Burley. Uh, it'll be primarily comprised of all American tobaccos, and that would be in the American family. And then there's also another subgenre that's really a kind of cigar, where they will incorporate black cigar tobaccos into pipe blends. Hmm. Now, there is nobody on the planet more nudgy than the pipe guys. OK, <laughs> so everything I said is 100 percent right and 100 percent wrong. Okay? Exactly. So so as in as in the tobacco and they literally, and they literally debate it endlessly. OK, because there is no set. There's not like there's yeah. some world organization. That, it's not like champagne is champagne. And yeah. Yeah. Single malt scotch is single malt scotch. There's no one that's laying down the rules as to what this must be called and why it needs to be called that. It's much like we have in the cigar business, right? We have so much flexibility there. But those kind of aromatic, Englishes, navies, vapors, American, cigar, 
Orianos, Balkans, most pipe tobaccos can tend to be squeezed into one of those subgroups. And then you get the ones that are like, uh, you have like English aromatics, which is a primarily traditional English blend with just a little touch of aromatic where the English really comes through, but it's kind of got a little back note of the English in it. You know? Oh, okay. Now, where, where does where does pipe tobacco fall on the tobacco? Is it is it lean more towards cigarette tobacco, cigar tobacco? Is it a, is it a specialty? It leans, it leans. It leans. It leans. Well, it leans more into the cigarette tobaccos. Okay. I mean, you have way more cigarette tobaccos incorporated into um, into into. I mean, that's. I mean, Virginia is a very big category mm. in pipe tobacco, but it's the same thing as. It's not like we don't use black tobaccos and cheap mass market cigars. We do. What they're doing is they're just getting the best of the Golden Virginias, the best of the bright, the best of the Green River Valleys. You know what I mean? So okay. they, for the pipe blends, are sourcing the better materials to ultimately be used in the pipe blends that we as pipe tobacco consumers smoke. Okay, that, that that makes sense. So I think that's. I just, the, uh, I'm curious about like the percentage, though. Like you were talking about, you know, mixing, you know, and the percentage of. So is it more just like somebody experimenting to see kind of how much of the the different yes. English or aromatics or if yeah. the you know they, it's just any, anybody can be a pipe tobacco blender. Okay. Yeah. You can you can buy these ingredients finished. Now where the magic comes in is how the ingredients are processed. Okay. And that's where somebody like a Cornell and deal or a Sutliff or, you know, the people that make the Peterson's, you know, early morning pipe and nightcap, they're actually working on the tobacco so they can actually change the nature of the tobacco by how they process the tobaccos. And then there's so many things that affect it. Age affects it. Temperature affects it. Whether you press or you don't press the tobacco, how much pressure do you use when you're pressing the tobacco? I mean, it's it's a very there's a lot to making good pipe tobaccos, but you as an individual consumer, you can play mad scientist. Mm -hmm. You can go to any you can go to any you can go to smokingpipes.com. You can buy all those base ingredients for the most part if you want them, and you can start playing at home, or you can take an existing blend out of a can that you like and you say, hey, I wish I had a little more Latakia. And just add some more Latakia to it and just see how it smokes. Now, what you won't have the access to is eight different Latakias, yeah, yeah. all different farms and all different grades. And right. how are these worked compared to the others? Because some are worked better and some are not worked. Well, I shouldn't say better. They're worked differently. So better is a matter of just what you like or you don't like. I mean, look, the number one selling pipe tobacco in the world is one of the ones that's made out of some of the cheapest materials. Oh geez, hmm. so well, well, no, number one cigar, the, the the Swisher. So I guess, and that's cheap. You know, I, I guess if you call that the cigar. <laughs> shut up. Yeah, if you, if you if you call that a cigar, but uh, yeah, no, so but uh, let's get let's get right to it. What are we What are we starting with? Which cigar so are we going to start with? What this program was? I saw you guys. You you Jessica and Kevin smoked all four of these cigars in four different episodes, and. The comment from Kevin when I was watching them was not only did he not like them, which was easy, I could deal with that, but he was just he wasn't getting it. He didn't understand what he was supposed to be getting when he was smoking them. 
And I, and I think that that's a, I think that's an issue for consumers because they have a preconceived notion of what a pipe should be, but they don't really have any experience smoking anything, but maybe one or two pipe tobaccos. I mean, just the Cornell and deal catalog alone is like 360 different varieties. Get that out. You can buy. Wow. And that's just one manufacturer, right? There are literally thousands and thousands Go to tobaccoreviews.com and just look at how many pipe tobaccos are listed on there. So I think it's one of these things where you have to kind of have a baseline to kind of understand what you should expect. Now, whether it's good or not good is definitely debatable. And whether you find it pleasing to you or not pleasing to you, that's definitely, there's nothing I can do about that. But it was more so talking about what should the consumer when they smoke this expect? And what should they taste? You know, what 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 should they get out of this? Um, so I don't even know where to begin. We got four of them. I, I think the best thing to do is just, I'm not going to smoke the whole thing. I'm going to smoke. I sent you guys each enough so you had two of every one. Yeah. With the intent that we could just light these, smoke them a little bit and throw them away. Okay. Or you could keep smoking the one or you could smoke mm-hmm. them all simultaneously. But we're not staying on this thing tonight for us to smoke four cigars. No, no, I'd say like, we'll, we'll, we'll smoke all four. Like I said, we'll smoke them. I mean, they're, they were free, so we'll smoke them, and you can talk to us about it, and then we can <laughs> cleanse our palate. I do, least, I do love the fact that we can that this, move on to the next one. I do love the fact this whole thing was arranged to educate you, Kevin. So yes. I'm really grateful yes. for that, Steve. I, and, and but I, you I, know I, what's I, funny I, is when, when we were down in Florida, I brought back um, some of these cigars, and, and our good friend Daryl um, Iverson – he is he's a former pipe smoker and he does love your cigars, Steve. And when he smoked these for the first time, he was just raving about them because he loves your brand of cigars and he's a and he's a former pipe smoker. So he was he he got it. He was raving about these cigars. I think I think for me, when I was doing the blends, I wanted them to be different and unique so that the cigar consumer was getting something different. But I also wanted for the guys that actually do smoke pipe. To be able to go, yeah, I get that. I see why he calls this an English. I see why he calls this a Navy. That there be the type of traits in it that they would expect if they mm-hmm. smoke these in their bowl. It's not a one for one. This does not replace smoking a pipe. This is a cigar first with essence of pipe in it, essentially. Okay. It, it, but it definitely does not replace a pipe. I think the best thing to do is just to start with smelling the feet of these cigars. I mean, I'll tell you what, why don't you just pick one and tell us what you think when you smell the foot. I'm like Kevin. I've never smoked a pipe before, but I've been around it when I was younger. And this is. And by the way, I I have something to teach everybody because I get this comment all the time. When you take a foot ring off a cigar, don't try to peel it off. Just take your thumb and forefinger like this kind of tightly clamped down a little bit and just slide it off nice and clean. Don't don't try to peel it off. I, I don't know why consumers do that. It's so much more work. <laughs> Let's see. All right. So which one did you grab, Jess? I grabbed the English number 27. All right. So what you should get when you smell the foot of an English number 27 is you should get just a light smokiness out of the Latakia because mm-hmm. yeah. the Latakia is a fire-cured tobacco. Um, the thing is, 
depending on the grade of the Latakia, um, is going to really determine the strength level of it. Um, if it's improperly cured, it can be quite sharp. And the other thing, too, is if it's a lower grade, they tend to smoke them even heavier when they fire cure it because the okay. smoke helps the smokiness helps to hide the actual taste of the tobacco. But if a Latakia is proper and it's good, it actually shouldn't be overwhelmingly barbecue, bonfire kind of thing. And the other thing, too, is Latakia, most consumers, even the pipe guys, they think of it as not the, not the experience, but the inexperienced ones. They think it's a really strong tobacco, and it's really just the opposite. Latakia yeah. is actually a, one of the <laughs> mildest pipe tobaccos out there, but it I has to be processed one. properly. If it isn't processed properly, then, yeah, it's like any sort of tobacco that's underworked. It ends up being bitter and harsh. But what you should get out of an English is you you should get just a slight bit of smokiness. Yeah. Out of mm -hmm. that. And that was that out of and that, and that was uh, out of which one? The English number. Yeah, yeah. The English, like I said, I, I the English I, I got I got a distinct firewood, definitely or, or fire cured, you know, for so me. Pick another one. What do you got, Kerr? What do you want to go with? I had the uh um the number one. All right. Well, that's a very just that's an easy one. Yeah, I mean, that's the aromatic. So what you would the thing as I said before, aromatics are all over the map because they make an aromatic in like every flavor of the rainbow, right? Right. So it depends on how it was actually topped. So with this aromatic, what I think you should get is I think you should get a little bit of chocolate, kind of hot chocolate, mm -hmm. maybe a little bit of marshmallow. I get raisins. I I, I wrote yeah. I wrote down distinct chocolate, um, and that was one that um, I also knew it was a pipe. It had something i knew it was a pipe tobacco like if you if you had it a lot of people aromatic yeah. is what they identify with pipe yeah. tobaccos yeah definitely the the hot chocolate with with marshmallow what now with aromatics uh steve you said that there's so many different flavors and right what what made you go in this direction versus the other options um look i wanted to go with something that i thought consumers would like and they tend to lean more towards those kind of flavors Look, one of my favorite aromatic tobaccos is called Penny Farthing. Okay, Farthing. I love it a lot, but I think it's a little bit of a stretch for the average consumer. You know what I mean? It's got this kind of weird, almost anise thing going on, you know, and I don't think that, I don't think most consumers would enjoy it. So why don't you, what do you got? You got the Navy? I, I got I did I have, I have the navy. Yeah, I, I, I did. Yeah. What do you think of the navy? What do you get out of that? I one? still I do still smell a little bit of fire cure right off the bat for Oh the guess navy. what? There is some Latakia in yeah. the Navy. Oh I, I, I wrote down barbecue is what only ten percent, but what I really want you to smell, do you notice the rum in it? I was going to say there was like a almost a, a little bit of a medicinal smell, mm -hmm. but I couldn't put my finger. Yeah, in. exactly. Because that's that's a dark rum. Now, the dunk, dark rum is not actually applied to tobacco. It's actually laid into the casing table in the water that they're, well, not the casing table, excuse me, the cabin dishing table. Um, so when they are steaming the tobacco, which is what cabin dishing is, is them steaming the tobacco, the rum is in the, in the steam that's rising up through the tobacco when they're making it into black cabin dishing. So you should definitely get a little bit of a liquor rum kind of sensation and then the fourth one i think is the hardest one to detect um and that's just because the consumers are unfamiliar with it and it's the one that's the most subtle but if you smell this one 
You should get almost a grassiness, which is definitely from the, the heavy amount of Virginia. But then there's also this little bit of odd kind of figgy raisin thing. Yeah. That's very, I, I, very that's, light. I, I, I wrote down a barnyard because of that. Uh, I got a hay mm -hmm. instead that's of right. a, a, a grass. So I, I wrote, I wrote down hay. barnyard on that but one. But I got, I got raisin. I did get the too. raisin, yeah. But I get raisin for the aromatic as well. Right. I, that's yeah. That was my initial. Yeah. So I'll tell you what, let's. It was crazy, Jess. I think that <laughs> of the four, my favorite's the Bayou, yeah. but it's the one that's the most difficult to understand. Um, I mean, I think that the aromatic is the simplest to understand. So why don't we just cut that one first? The aromatic. The, the aromatic? Yeah. All right. And then you can you can explain to us why uh, Jessica's going to V cut hers. I'm, sorry, I'm going to straight cut. <laughs> why you have such disdain for the uh, for the V cut? Um, I'm not a fan of V cutters because ideally, the more surface area that's opened on the head of the cigar the better the draw is going to be simply, you know what I mean? And the other thing that I don't like about the V cut is the V cut tends to sometimes crush the cigar. And that's just one more thing. It's like, oh. I don't really, I mean, it's, it's, it's very fragile. Now, I will admit modern day V cutters do a much better job. They're much sharper, but I don't think they actually make the draw better. I think in some cases they make it worse. And then the other thing I see is consumers to overcome that. They then do the cross cut where they cut it twice. They do the crown cut where they do it three times. Yeah. It's not a fucking house, people. It's a cigar. It's not like built for structural integrity. It's designed for you to crush it three times. You, you know, you're but right. but but you say uh, that be, be, because and then you complain you cracked the head. Well, I'm sorry. I'm on my fourth cut, Steve. I I, 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 I do that. <laughs> I, I'll be cut it multiple times, but you're 100% right. I do it. Because it the uh, the cut's not open up enough, and I should just be straight cutting it to, to begin with to so, get the open cut. Now the aromatic is the only one that has a sweet tip on it, mm. and you get the sugar right away. Yeah, and but I'm getting a different flavor with the cold draw than I was getting from the smell because the smell was really chocolatey marshmallow. But that's all like all pipe cigars. I mean, all pipes. To the other to the people that aren't in the room and they walk in, this has an amazing aroma. This is what yeah. they would call in the pipe world a room note. And this but would be I, a very positive room note. But I feel, for me, when I, I remember smoking it before, but smoking it now, it, it reminded me of why this was my least favorite, was because it, I felt like it was too light. It didn't give me enough complexity in the notes that I was looking for. Well, and I can also say, look, it's kind of a bridge if you like to smoke a flavored or infused cigar. Mm -hmm. It's kind of, it's not a traditional cigar, but it's not as, it's not as flavored up as an no. infused cigar. That's true. You know, yeah. Not going to knock you out. With kind of flip. in this weird kind of middle ground. You know what I mean? And, yeah. And that's an issue, which is one of the reasons why I don't know if it's something. Look, and I, I've said this from day one with this whole line. Normally, when I make blends, I know how they're going to be received, right? I have an idea who the consumer is. There's never been a consumer for a top shelf black tobacco cigar with top shelf pipe tobaccos that are done in a very balanced, elegant, nuanced way. And that costs $15, right? And the guys that smoke pipe tobacco cigars are smoking John T's and, 
and stuff like that. They're smoking those CAO moon trance, right? So I don't even know that there's a consumer market for these cigars. It's just, it's such a deviation from the norm. Now, the other thing I would say about Stillwell as a general rule, because the tobaccos are, none of the tobaccos are, some pipe tobaccos, they add additives to them to help them accelerate and to burn correctly. Whereas these are all natural. So therefore, you have to be a little more gentle with it when you smoke it. You have to think about the way a pipe is smoked. It's sipped a little gentler. It takes a little bit of time because these cigars are much more likely to cone on you than a traditional cigar because the burning properties of all these other tobaccos are not at the same rates as the black tobacco. Oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't, yeah. Now, normally, if you ease into it and you gently light it and you smoke the first half inch and you let it get warmed up and going, it then becomes a non-issue. But with Stillwell, I think it behooves the consumer to smoke it a bit slower. Now, luckily for the average consumer, this isn't an issue. But for hardcore guys who smoke cigars or girls who smoke them all the time, we tend to really burn through our cigars really quick and really hard. You know what I mean? I mean, because there's a lot of cigars that should take an hour and 45 minutes to smoke that people that smoke a lot of cigars burn through in less than an hour. Mm -hmm. Okay. So oh, yeah. that was an interesting question. Okay. Um, and I think this is one, Steve, I've heard him answer before, but uh, do I have to keep the Stillwell cigar out of my humidor? They smell like infused cigars, which I won't put in my normal humidor. So I would say in the case of the aromatic number one, yes, I would keep it out of my regular humidor. In the case of the other three, I don't think it's an issue no. if you leave them in the cellophane. Yeah. And, and particularly with the Bayou and the English, I wouldn't worry about it at all. Um, but you might get something a little from the Navy, but I don't think it's an issue with those. The aromatic, I wouldn't put those in my regular humidor. Right. I, would, I would have a dedicated little Tupperware container to put those in. I mean, if you're putting them in the boxes in your cooler door, don't worry about it. If you put if they're in the original box and they're in your in your stand-up humidor or your case humidor, don't worry about it. But if you're putting them in a 50-count humidor and you're throwing four aromatics in there amongst your whatever else is, I personally wouldn't do that. I'd put them in something else. Now, now you you had meant this one uh reading the the um the the description is, has black cavendish. And you talked about the cavendish table or what 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 is, what is cavendish? What what is that? Cavendish is really just a way that they process the tobacco. Oh, okay. It's, it's a they, process. It's where, they, it's where they take the tobacco and they basically sweat it on, by normally some sort of steam. Okay, so it goes on a fire table that boils water and the water just goes up through the tobacco. And it just it helps to bring out the sweetness in the tobacco. And it's nothing but water. And black Cavendish is a very, very popular ingredient. The problem with black Cavendish is it's also a way that you can take shitty tobacco and make it smokable. So there's a lot of bad black Cavendish out there. But Cavendish can be done to all tobaccos. Okay. Cavendish in itself is not a tobacco. It's a process to tobacco. Okay. So you can Cavendish really good tobaccos. You can Cavendish really bad tobaccos. And the other thing that a lot of consumers, when they have experience with black Cavendish, they're getting it where they're adding propylene glycol actually to the tobacco so that it retains its moisture so it can survive in those drugstore pouches 
that you see on the shelves that stay yeah. there for two years. <laughs> so they're adding they're adding PG actually to the tobacco, which then makes it all goopy and syrupy and gummy, mm. and it doesn't smoke very well. I, I was wondering why when you get like – I've seen buddies that, that have like old pipe tobacco, and it, it get, and I'm like, well, is this what you're smoking? I, I, so it's the propylene glycol that is like, like, like dissolving. Yeah. Or, yeah. or sometimes they just put too much flavoring agents in something. That's what I was going to say. Is it more of like an oily substance? Yeah. Like this has a really nice nuttiness on the retro pale. See, I got a butter, like a creamy butter, mm. like aftertaste on the retro. That's what I wrote down. <laughs> I, I think it's, I think it's a very pleasing cigar. Do I think that the guy that is smoking a Mike Rita Tricky Traka six four eight? Is going to become an aromatic number one smoker? No. No. Um, do I think that maybe a consumer that smokes and smokes Deadwood, and they occasionally want to smoke something that's a bit more balanced and a bit more refined, something that's a little bit more top shelf, um, they might like it, or they might dislike it completely because it isn't as sweet, and it isn't as flavorful when it comes to the the chocolate components of it. You know what I mean? So yeah. they might be disappointed by it. It's a it's mm. a really odd cigar, because um, I think the room note is a li- is a little deceiving. Like when you when you smell it and on the foot of it, and then when you light it, and you could smell that room note. The room note is a little bit more uh, pungent than the actual flavor that you're getting when you're when you're the smoking it. Much more. Yeah, and you can really tell that if you like if someone's smoking one and you leave the room. And you come mm-hmm. back like two minutes later, like, yeah. oh my God, what is that? It smells but it's, really good. It yeah. smells delicious. That's one thing it, when Kevin and I both smoked this and we both took turn, like we walked out, it was one of the most pleasant mm-hmm. smelling yeah. smells that I have, we, we had from a cigar. You know, I think for me, this type of cigar, like it makes me want to kind of be like, oh, if I'm having a dessert and a cup of coffee and like relax, and this is a very soothing, um, very light sweetness to it that kind of you know reminds me of like a dessert mm-hmm. a little bit but in the best way i mean i think that i know that for i've got a lot of comments from consumers that have said that their their spouses who normally really hate them smoking cigars this is one of the few yeah, cigars that when they light it up right. their spouse is like oh that one's good you can smoke that one <laughs> yeah. nice you're, you're allowed to smoke that one in the house <laughs> You're allowed to smoke this on the back deck while I'm (laughs) there with you. I I like this one. It's obviously my favorite. I think, Steve, you said you knew this was going to be my favorite. I love that it does have a sweetened cap, but that sweetened cap doesn't stay on your lips um, throughout the whole cigar. Like, I don't notice the sweetened cap as much anymore, but it was was very pleasant at the beginning, but it was pleasant that it went away. Um, I do love the chocolate, um, uh, which I get a lot uh, out of this cigar. I love the room note. It smells absolutely delicious mm-hmm. in here, and um, and I do like that it's a it's 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 a premium cigar. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's not not all infused flavors, enhanced cigars always burn the greatest. You know, they, they th- this one is perfect. I do, I, and Kevin, you know me and Jess. I I don't smoke a lot of infused cigars. I really don't. Mm-hmm. I occasionally, and I think this is. This is a great flavor, and it's like you. I think you had said it earlier, Steve. You're getting a lot of those different types of flavors, but it's not as 
so sweet and infused forward as you're going to get with some of the infused right. cigars. Which is always where I wonder if it's commercially a good idea or not a good idea. And I've been very clear with my retailers. And I'll, and I'll just tell you where we're at with this right now. Um, so we launched the brand last October. We first started shipping it. And since that point, we've sold about 32,000 boxes of Stillwell stuff. And, wow. and of the 32,000, up until just last month, we were within 100 boxes of each of the four. So really, it's that close. Wow. Yeah, there, there's no separation. Now, this month, I've noticed some separation. This month, we have actually sold more aromatics than of the other three. But I don't know if that's an anomaly, and it'll cycle back around in another couple months. But initially, Wait. we've been selling, like, like literally, it's, it's crazy that you can sell essentially four different, totally different cigars. And they sell in equal numbers. Right. They are four totally different cigars. The only way I can interpret that is it means that people are still trying it for the first time. Mm -hmm. And they just want to try all four. Okay. Right? That's, yeah. that's the only way I can interpret it as it making sense to me. But what I have noticed looking at the sales, even though my numbers are even, I am noticing individual retailers have ones that are doing better for them and other ones that aren't doing well for them. So, like, we just had a retailer the other day order, like, 24 boxes of aromatic and three of the other three. And we had another retailer that ordered, like, 20 boxes of navy and two of the other two. Okay, so it's ba it's balance, <laughs> keeping that balance between and all four. The other thing that I'll tell you is my retailers are having very different experiences. I have retailers that they are saying it's just an absolute home run in their shop. And I have other retailers that are saying to me, man, this isn't working for me at all. Mm. Okay, so it's really it's just all over the map right now. I, I have no clue. Still, well, well, yeah, I, yeah. But I, for me, I always was intrigued by pipe smoking, but I know I really just don't want to do it. It looks like a lot of work. It's something I'm just not probably willing to do because <laughs> um, I don't have the patience. But this introduced me into. Oh. A little bit of what pipe smoking like ha like the pipe tobacco and stuff so i appreciated all four of them like when we did the review i i really enjoyed them for what they were you know because i got something different from all of them that i didn't i haven't gotten from a cigar so it was nice for me but i can see maybe for some people it's just something that they want to stay away from but i think people should just definitely try them because it's not like smoking a pipe Right. Yeah. So. You know, Ronnie had mentioned, like I said, he did the math, 416,000 <laughs> uh, cigars is what he said. Was that, did, did that surprise you guys? Did you expect, I mean, I, I, obviously it's almost impossible to expect, you know, how many cigars you're going to sell, but, you know, was that a surprise? You know, like, you know, that you've sold that many? Yeah, it's surprising. Hmm. Okay. It's a lot. It's a lot of cigars. It, 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 it caught you off guard? A little bit like, you know, it's like, well, hey, no, we got to... I was you know. prepared for it, but... Oh, okay. Yeah, it's, it's, it's more than I thought. Okay. I mean, but ultimately, I mean, it's just such a different animal that I think that if it's introduced to a consumer, you almost are forced to try it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just to try it to decide you hate it. You still try <laughs> it because it's just so different than anything else that's been put out into the marketplace. <laughs> and as a cigar smoker, and even when you smoke one, you say, Hey, you smoke the air mango. Oh, that's not for me. It kind of makes you want to try the other one still because they're so different. 
And the other thing that I've kind of noticed is I have a lot of consumers that have told me that when it first came out and they smoked in the beginning, they didn't really like it, but they bought a whole box because they were just blind faith in soccer, which is foolish, by the way. You should sample <laughs> you buy. But they were just doing that. And now they're kind of like coming back to us like, you know what? I'm actually starting to appreciate it now. I'm actually starting to understand it and it's starting to find a place and they're actually changing their perspective on it. Not that it becomes their number one, not that it like replaces all the other cigars they smoke, but it is starting to find a place in some people's rotations when they're looking for something that's a, a bit of a palate break. Now Most someone asked uh, here, um, Evan, um, Steve, what pipe tobacco blend would best imitate the aromatic number one? No, it's a custom blend, so okay. there isn't really one out there. Um, but I think if you wanted something, and look, this isn't a fair – yeah, I guess it would be. Um, Cornell and Deal has one that they do as a holiday blend. They don't do it every year, but they have one that's called uh, Corn Cob Pipe and Button Nose. Okay? <laughs> it's one of Jeremy's blends, and it's, it's, it's a much more heavy burly blend. I mean, this blend has some burly in it. But that's a, a cubed burley where the burley's cut up in really tiny little miniature cubes, and I think it I think it has some of that similarity to it, um, but it's not it's not a it's not a one to one. There, there isn't corn cob pipe and a button nose in the blend. All of the blends that were made for the Stillwells are all unique pipe tobaccos um, because we had to work around what's it going to take to make it work in a cigar? Because you can't just take pipe blends and throw them in a cigar and expect the cigar to burn right and draw right and do all the things that you need to do. And how is that tobaccos? Pipe tobaccos are very moisture sensitive. Some of them smoke better wet. Some smoke better dry. And you don't have that flexibility in a cigar because everybody's smoking their cigars somewhere between 62 and 70% RH, right? And you essentially, in this blend, you have what? You have what? You have Black Cavendish, you have Gold Virginia, you have some Burley in it. So you got three different tobaccos on top of the black tobaccos. So you've got four different tobaccos just from Jump. So we had to modify everything in order to make it work as best as possible in a cigar. And that's why, even if we were like to make it and sell it as a pipe blend, we we're making a Stillwell number one aromatic aromatic number one and put it in a can to sell consumers we would have to adjust the blend to make it work in the can mm -hmm. to give the consumer the best pipe smoking experience with it we couldn't just take it and dump it in and go oh here you go yeah all right now how, how do you, uh, scott freeman ask uh, you know do these cigars age well obviously i have they, no you know, fucking clue yeah yeah, yeah they've only <laughs> been out for you know, so uh, uh, do you have any idea? Like, do you think they're going to to, to lose something with, with age? Look, the oldest ones I've smoked so far are only about a year old. And look, they do become more mellow. They do become smooth. I do notice that some of the temperamental burn issues that you get, they tend to knock themselves down um, with age, which is not normally the case with most of my cigars. Um, but it is the case. Again, it's the pipe tobaccos that are just a little out of my control there. Um, but honestly, I have no clue how these are going to age long term. I really, I really don't know. So, right. So, what, what's our what's our next cigar going to be? Um, I think I would go with the Navy. In the Navy. Let me cl cleanse my palate a little bit. Get some of that quinine on my palate. And... 
cleansing the palate and protecting from malaria. Yeah, <laughs> at the same time, yep. All right. This is the one that I said had still had a little bit of that uh, firewood, which you said it was uh, like a little bit of lidocaine. Yeah, I think about, things. if I remember off the top of my head, I think there's about 10 to 12% in the blend is Latakia. Oh, Latakia. Yeah, you said, said lidocaine. Lidocaine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. A little bit of lidocaine. Never hurt anybody Lidocaine. in the cigar. We'll, we'll, let, we'll let Risty make that one. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you definitely get the, 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 the rum, a little bit of uh, rum flavor in the cold draw. No lidocaine, though. Hmm. I'll so tell I you for, I saw a question float by. So... <laughs> To answer that question about will there be a smaller Vitola, um, there are not any current plans to do so. I mean, I could tell you that probably maybe the aromatic I could do better in like a Connecticut shade tobacco um, or a, a lighter, but I really wanted to make the – I wanted to make – although all the cigar blends are different, I wanted to make the size the same and I wanted to make the wrapper and binder the same so that consumers could focus on the differences in the cigar from the pipe tobacco perspective. Now, the individual filler recipes, they're the same ingredients, but their proportions slightly different so that it helps to emphasize the flight, the, the pipe essences that I wanted to come through. But I really was trying to make it where it was more a study of the different four different pipe blends than really, hey, Let's make Coronas and let's make this one in Connecticut shade. Now, look, if the line becomes popular in 10 years from now, Stillwell becomes something real. And let's say one of them, Aromatic number one, or at that point, look, I've made, I've already made about 12 final ones of these where the blends are done. In fact, this year we're releasing a holiday one um, because the way the pipe world works is. They make holiday, the pipe makers make holiday pipes every year, and the pipe tobacco people make holiday pipe blends, like the corn cob pipe and button nose one I mentioned. So we're going to release a holiday version of Stillwell Star. And I went with a different aromatic this year uh, in this one, and it's not sweet tip, this aromatic. Um, so, but I, I wanted to make it very streamlined so that consumers would compare the pipe aspect more than the cigar aspect between them. Mm -hmm. So I'm getting a little bit of sweetness on the retro. Is that sort of from like the rum? From the dark rum. Yeah, mm -hmm. from the dark rum. I, I, was, yeah. I, 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 I was getting something on the retro, which I don't normally get a lot on retros. You either get Bernie or not Bernie. But I almost got like a, <laughs> almost like a cinnamon is what I was getting, but almost like a sweet cinnamon, like when you get to that, that sweet spot of a fireball when you're past the cinnamon, but you're on the verge of getting that sugar, you know, that sugar center. When, when, the, when the cinnamon ball is white. Yeah. Just, yeah. So, but I, but I was surprised because I, because I got the, um, the barnyard that the hay on the, uh, uh, on the foot and I'm not getting a lot of that. Like it's almost, mm. to me, it's barely perceptible when it's at, when I'm actually smoking. Actually, you were saying the barnyard was on the bayou. Or was that? Yeah. Oh, the barner was on. Oh, the oh the the name I got the fire uh, uh the barbecue, right. is what is what I was getting on on this one. So I'm mm. looking at some of these yeah. YouTube questions. I don't even know where these questions come. Are these coming from Facebook, YouTube? Some, I, uh, if if you're right. yeah, 
Yeah, they're coming from everywhere. We're, we're on so, six, yes. six pipe, different platforms. Pipe tobacco, pipes and pipe tobacco are having a resurgence. Um, so, I mean, that, that's the answer to that question. Um, let me see here. What do all the numbers stand for? Well, I don't want to say what all the numbers stand for, <laughs> so I'll tell you a few. Um, the, num the number 27 is because it's my favorite number, and I tend to smoke a lot of English blends, and that's why I wanted to give it 27. Um, the Navy, the 1056, is because that was the ship I served on. I served on the USS Canole, which was FF 1056, and that's where 1056 comes from. But I'm, I'm going to leave the number one and a 32 a secret now. And, <laughs> and you'll understand why in a couple months. So right up now. Now, how did you how did you come up with the size? Um, were you, you know, did, did you pick a size and you were going to blend to that or were you? Making yeah, no, I, I was I was just I was, you know, just do it. Simple, stupid. Toros and Rebusos are the number one selling okay. sizes in America. So I wanted to make something that was a Toro or a Robusto. Oh, OK, I decided to make the Toro because. I just want to, I tend to prefer Toros over Robustos personally. I don't tend to smoke a lot of Robustos. And, and there you go. It's just that simple. I don't, what, what, are, what are you thinking over there, Care, on this one? Uh, like Jess, I got that, that rum right off the bat. Yeah. Uh, picking up a little bit, Kevin, I think of, of the cinnamon. That could also just be the, your influence since you're an influencer on my retro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know. <laughs> but uh, I don't know why uh I don't understand why uh Jello Balls is asking if I hate Kansas. I don't hate Kansas. I just hate everywhere. So oh. it's like Kansas thing. <laughs> oh I, I didn't even see that. Yeah they're 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 That's flying funny. by it and uh yeah. Yeah, um, do you hate Kansas? Kansas. Yeah. You still hate Kansas. <laughs> uh, Pierre, I think the cinnamon for Kevin for me I could see kind of where he was going with that, but it's really more of kind of like that. Um, like if you ever had like certain teas, like there's certain like black teas that have like, uh, like kind of a cinnamon, but like almost a burnt, like fiery. Well, yeah. You know, but, you know the word I would use, and it's not a good word to use, what? but I would use an astringent. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that there, you know, there's a little bit of that kind of characteristic to it. You know, you yeah, know, that there's that been like an appealing thing to say, yeah. but, 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 I, but I gotta, I gotta remember that, that. I gotta remember that word because there, there's been a couple of times we've been smoking cigars, doing like the connoisseur club, you know, taking notes on cigars or whatever. And I've gotten like this and I can only describe it as medicinal, yeah, I but medicinal. I think that astringent is the word that I yeah. was looking I for that I didn't, bad word. that I didn't know. That it I just didn't depends know. to what degree. Is it a light astringent? Yeah. Cause look. I mean, it's every nice. liquor you put in your mouth has a bit of an astringent nature right. to it, right? Um, I see this question here from Aaron asking, is blue going to replace the regular boule or get more Vitolas? Seems like sales is a lot higher. First up, that's not true, Aaron. Uh, regular boule outsells blue like literally probably 40 to 1. Oh, wow. It's huge, the difference between regular boule and boule blue. Um, it's just boule blue is the one that gets all the love from – you know, the cigar geeks and the people in the know, you know, but for most consumers, I mean, brulee is the way it's going. Will it get more Vitolas? Um, it will. I've actually already made the next blue 
and I was going to release it this year, <coughs> but I decided not to because we can't keep up with Sober Mesa Brulee Blue, so I'm not going to make my life more miserable, but I actually have one called Big Blue that is a that's like a 7 by 50 that's already made and done and aged, so some point there's going to be some almost two-year-old uh, brulee big blues out there, but uh, I'm just gonna, I, I just can't, I just can't add anything more to my plate right now. Yeah, and uh, Leo had mentioned the ashtray. Yes, later on, Leo, we're we're going to be picking a random winner, and I'm going to be giving a, an ashtray away in a in, in a little while. So I'm I'm liking this cigar. So out of, I can't remember what my thoughts were. I didn't go back and watch my our videos because I didn't want to taint uh, going into this. But um, this this is a scar that if you handed it to me, cut it. I mean, I, I don't think I would know that there, there there's something different about it. But it is more traditional, like yeah. the, like the, it, it is. You know, just I don't find that to be true for me. Okay. Yeah, I don't find it to be true to me. But then again, I can see where a lot of consumers wouldn't get it. I mean, again, when you come into it with no perceived you know notions. That kind of sets it up. I mean, it could just taste like a cigar that was poorly made, right? Like, well, what is this kind of strange flavor to it? <laughs> I I like that there's that, like the dark rum, like that yeah. little bit of stringent. I like that undertone for me. It's not say, overpowering, but I like it. I will say Jeremy at Cornell and Deal, their blender, this is his favorite of the four. Yeah, this All one's right. a good one. Now, going over the uh, um, the description of this one, you've got um, a, a touch of naval rations in quotations, um, and then Latakia. Can you explain uh, what you meant by naval rations and explain yeah, what, uh, what Latakia is? Because you don't want to put you don't want to put uh, dark rum oh, in, okay. a, in a description uh, in this uh, in this current environment, right? So, naval rations is a you know a just a very subtle way. Of alluding to it and then the fact that and this gets really this gets really weird with the fda because navy pipe tobacco blends which have always had rum in them okay are approved by the fda and grandfathered in they have SPN numbers okay but they can't put the word rum on the packaging Okay, because you're not allowed to put those kind of words on the packaging, but everyone that smokes Navy tobaccos understands that this is a trade of all Navy tobaccos, that they have this naval ration in them. And that's why, you know, when you get in this conversation about descriptive uh, characterizing flavors, that's why how you how you describe them makes a really big difference. Like I can talk to you about this, but you notice if you read the write-ups, like I said, the first one's kind of hot chocolate with marshmallow. That isn't in the description anywhere. Right. Okay. Yeah. That isn't put on the box. Right. That isn't that isn't put in any sort of advertisement. You know what I mean? Just the same way as I don't talk about the fact that, you know, I don't put it on the box that this is done with a with a with a dark, heavy sugared, you know, aged rum. You know, you don't you, you just you, you have to avoid these topics. Now, when you look at Stillwell Star, it doesn't look like something that would appeal to uh, somebody young. Yeah. Okay. The price point is expensive. The packaging screams expensive. It looks very, I mean, the, 
the packaging on Stillwell Star, I think, is as comparable to any high-end premium cigar in the marketplace. You know what I mean? There's nothing about this band design or the naming or any of it that is meant in any way to appeal to somebody that isn't an adult smoker. Right. And I'm, so I'm very careful with how I phrase it because I know that for the FDA, this is a big, big deal to them, how you market something, how it looks, how you portray mm -hmm. it. Okay. Yep. So, and then, uh, um, uh, what was a lot of Kia? Explain now. Is that the same as Cavendish? Is that a, a process? No, no, no. Latakia Lata is actually a type of tobacco. Okay. Yeah, Latakia. Latakia was traditionally. It's grown. It's grown in the. Uh, it's grown in the in the Middle East. Um, it originally was called Latakia because of uh, the Latakia government, which is from. It's a. It's a principal port city in Syria, and that's where um, the best Latakias came from. But so there's been a ban on, but there's been a ban on Syrian goods for well, good God, I don't even know when that went into effect. Probably like almost two decades ago. So now you have Latakias that are grown in Turkey. You have them grown in Egypt. I'm of the personal best. My opinion is the best ones are what they call Cypriot, which are grown in Cyprus. Okay. So I, I have a question. Is that like a lot of what, uh, like in the Middle East where they smoke with the pipes? Is that Latakia? That like hookah, hookah or a, the, a, Well, it's or not a hookah. It's like a, it looks like a little long, thin oh, straw long. with a, like a pipe, but real thin and long like a straw. And you light the little, the end of it. I, I like, black tar heroin. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I was gonna say you just described the uh, like a a house. Pipe. I don't know, but somebody so, sent us some. Yeah, I, I forget. Yeah, some, uh, like, like so, like Cyprian Latakia is like traditionally, it's smoked over like this bed of like they use like mountain shrubs and they use the oh. they use the they use like they use like pine trees and myrtle and other native woods. Okay, whereas hmm. the Syrian Latakia used to just be primarily like done over oak. Okay, and the Syrian Latakia is normally a little bit lighter in color, but it's also smokier than the Cypriot. Okay, um, so I mean, it's a uh, again, you know, there's like there's other ones, there's uh, Macedonians, and there's uh, there's ones come from Greece, and there's also uh, one that's like drama, which is more of an Oriental that's more uses as a, as a condiment style tobacco. I mean, it's very, it's very, very unique. But Latakia in itself is an oriental tobacco, but it's one of the oriental tobaccos that is not just used as a condiment anymore. I mean, there's a blend that um, Cornell and Deal makes. It's one of my favorites called Pirate's Cake. And that's like 75% Latakia. It's a heavy, heavy Latakia blend. That's awesome. So when when how how are they when when they're sending you the tobacco, the factory, um, are they processing it differently for you than they would be if you found it in a pouch or a tin? Are they cutting it, dicing it, or or are you're getting it in the same format that a pipe tobacco would get it on the shelf? I'm getting I'm getting most everything cut into nice ribbons. Okay, because I want it to be able to be evenly dispersed throughout the cigar. So I'm getting I'm getting a, a much more kind of shaggy ribbon cut, um, which some pipe tobaccos are done that way. Other ones aren't. It's with the exception of the 
of the one that I use for the English, the English comes to me in a pressed cake because I really like the way it tastes when that pipe tobacco is pressed. I think it makes a big difference in how it ultimately tastes when you pull it apart. And we have to hand we have to hand rub all of those out from the cakes. Now, how big is a cake? Like when you're talking about, you know, well, uh, I'm getting I'm getting cakes that are like a pound a piece. Oh, okay. When so the consumer yeah. gets it, they get like a cube. It's like two ounces, right? Oh, okay. But I'm getting like a, <laughs> yeah, not even a probably closer to two pounds. And I think about it, they're they're big. They're more they're more like they're more like cinder blocks. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm sure they, they love getting that at the factory and, uh, and, and doing that. Yeah, look, but I pay them for that. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, would they rather it be in something that they can use? But look, all of these pipe tobaccos have to be dried differently at the factory. I mean, we, we put a lot of time and effort into figuring out how to do this right. You know, now, whether ultimately right means it's commercially viable, that's a separate issue. But we, we didn't just slap this project together. We, we put a lot of time and effort into it, trying to, you know, give the best expression that we could. Now, now Alan asked, um, are you using the same uh, bunching method on the Stillwell that you used for the Pulpetta? No, because the Stillwell is primarily, it's all long-filled tobacco with the exception of the pipe tobacco. And the pipe tobacco, depending on the blend, there's somewhere between 2.7 grams to about three and a half grams. Okay. So there's not, and you got to figure the average Toro is weighing in at about 18 and a half to 19 grams. So all the other, all the cigar tobacco inside the still wells are all long leaf. The only thing that isn't long leaf is the pipe tobacco. Now the pipe tobacco start off is high quality long leaf tobacco that was cut. Because that's the only way you could ever get the blend to be even in the cigar is to actually cut the pipe tobaccos, you know, in order to get a nice mixture of it. Now, you can, they do another type of pipe tobacco, which is called a plug. A plug is where they just take the whole leaves and they press them. And then the consumer with a knife actually then cuts it up to put in their pipe. But there's no reason for us to do that when we know that's what we're going to have to do. It's one thing for me to say I really like the 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 English blend when it's been pressed into crumble cakes, but we're already cutting it into like a shag ribbon and then we're pressing it into these cakes. And that pressure just helps to, I don't, I can't actually say what's happening. Okay. This is a question for Jeremy. I just know I like the result because if I smoke the tobacco when it hasn't been pressed versus after it's been pressed and then I break it apart, I find the one that's been pressed just has a much more harmonious flavor. That's probably just because of the oils transferring between all the different leaves under the pressure is what I would imagine. But it just seems more sophisticated and less disjointed to me. All right. Ishmael wants to go, Steve, your Toros are all 52 by 6? Question mark. Yeah, for the most part. I mean, I don't, I'm sure I got some. I mean, uh, Sin Compromiso is a 6 by 54, but then it's pressed. So it feels more like a 52. So I, I tend to make most of the Toros in that kind of 6 by 52 format. Okay, uh, uh, Brian, are any other cigar makers looking to follow your lead using pipe tobacco? Um, I, 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 know, I know a few have done it already. Yeah, know, no, they're, they're, they're bad. I'm, not, yeah. I'm not the first to do this. Yeah. I mean, there have been others. They just didn't do it as well. 
with 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 that's with that. you want, but that's just the reality <laughs> of it. I mean, I mean, this is, I mean, this is this is this is a you know, this is me going to, this is me leaning on the expertise of one of the best pipe tobacco blenders in the world. Someone who is, uh, someone who is at the top of his game, in the pipe side of things. You know, what I mean, he's the guy that you know. People want to take pictures with and get their cans and tins signed by and go to dinner with and pick his brain. You know, he's that guy. He's the Steve Saka of pipe tobacco. I think he's more important than the Steve Saka (laughs) in the pipe world. But I mean, so I mean, this is a you know, this is this is a this was something that we put a lot of care and effort into, you know, to try to get it right. I mean. I can tell you just on the pipe side of things, I smoked well over 300 different pipe blends before we even started getting into, okay, this is what we're going to start trying to make cigars into. I mean, wow. Yeah. Put, right. put, put a lot of time into this. So, so what, what are we, what, what, are we moving? what am I going to do? Yeah. What are we moving on to next? I think we should move on to the English. All right. This is uh, this one for for me was the the distinct fire cured really? and then and then and then I remembered that from I do remember that from from my from my review. This is the one that I'll honestly honestly say that 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 I did like the the least. The English. Yes, this is your least favorite. It it, it was, um, and I I can tell you I said and 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 the reason why and it wasn't the flavor. For for me and I and I think I said it in in that in that review uh, it was a uh, for me it was I I'm I'm not a huge fan of fire cured tobacco so I I found it a little um, um, boring um, I I hate I hate to use that word since Steve's right here why um, because it was too it was too consistent um, and and I'm and I'm not one of these cigar smokers that that needs to have the cigar change every third or every eighth. You know that it, I don't. It, I don't need nine it, changes. For in the me, I knew when I released these into the market that they were odd ducks. Yeah, you know what I mean. I, I, I don't. I don't know how consumers are going to perceive these. I mean, look, the conventional wisdom is that aromatic number one is going to, in the end, be the one that sells the most, and the other three are going to kind of like fade into the background. If I'm lucky, maybe one of them will catch on along with the aromatic. Um, you know, but part of it is the part of it's the journey of it, the experience of the different taste. Um, but ultimately, what consumers end up adopting or not adopting is going to be determined on them. And to be honest with you, I kind of am hoping that I'm hoping like at least two of them don't do well in the long run because then it'll allow me to introduce the Balkan or the Oriental or the Scottish that I have finished. You know what I mean? And I like, and I, I'd like to bring some of those others to the market, but retailers are not going to carry eight facings of Stillwell Star on this shelf. So I can see that's one of the things that's really kind of cool about it is, like I said, I already have like somewhere over a dozen of these blends, a hundred percent done. We're ready to put them in boxes. You know, we just need to make them and put them in boxes. But I can't release a dozen because how's the retailer going to sell them? How is he going to represent them? You know, so. It would not bother me at all if the English number 27 
its sales start to go down, you know, over the course of the next year or two. And then that gives me the avenue to introduce something else. You know, it, it wouldn't bother me at all because it's part of the thing with the pipe tobacco is there's so much diversity. Um, it gives me a place where I can play around. Now, I, I can tell you from what I remember, like this, it's not as strong. Like the the the, the fire cure that, that I was getting when I originally smoked these was really, really strong. And it's not the room. No, it's straight campfire. Yeah, it, it is. Like, it, it, that's what that's what it smells like in here now. But it's not it's not as strong as I remember. No, I, I like fire cured tobacco, but I, I don't do like too. it. I don't like it where it's it's overwhelming. I think this is a really good balance. Of I, mean, I, mean, I, mean, I mean, if you love like Drew Estate's Kentucky Fire Cured, I don't. Then you're, then you're going to be disappointed by by the English because it doesn't give you as much of that. You know what I mean? That's that is like we're talking about with like with the infused, like the, the aromatic number one. It's just that perfect amount of flavor to introduce you to something similar. Yeah, but but Kurt, you can say out. perfect for someone else to say it's too mild. Well, they're wrong. <laughs> yeah. So so what is so in the retro, obviously you're getting like a fire cure, but mm. there's another note there that I really can't put my finger on on the retro. Yeah, I think it's I think it's the Bosma, the Turkish tobacco. It's very unique. Now, now this, and you know the other thing that you'll notice in the English, it has almost a tea-like quality to it. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a little bitter. Now, now, now this has the smoothest retro. Like there is zero, zero burn. Like you I barely, you no barely burn. notice this. And I, I'm not a retro, so I'm I'm very you know sensitive to that. Um, why has this one got zero, zero burn? As I told you before. Latakia is a very smooth tobacco when it's done well. Okay. It, it's it's actually it's for a lot of new pipe smokers, it's the tobacco that they're fearful of because in the can it smells very strong. But actually in the pipe when you're smoking it, it's actually quite mild. And it also happens to be one of the better burning tobaccos. So it's actually one of the ones that's the most forgiving for new pipe smokers. The problem with a lot of pipe smokers is where they start when they start to smoke pipe is they start in the aromatics because the aromatics are the one that when you open the can, you go, oh, wow, that smells like a Tootsie Roll. Oh, wow, that smells like Cherry's Jubilee. Oh, wow, that smells like Bailey's you know, Irish cream. I can't wait to smoke that. Mm. And those are the tobaccos that tend to burn very hot and are sticky and are probably the more difficult of all the pipe tobaccos to smoke. They're the ones that are the least forgiving. But yet they're the tobaccos that almost everybody starts with. And in the end, it makes the whole it makes it very frustrating in their novice pipe experience trying to smoke those. And the other thing, too, is they tend to smoke the ones that are the most taught. OK, and what you have to understand is the pipe guys that smoke those tobaccos, they're not smoking them from the cans typically directly or the pouches. They're aging that tobacco. They call it cellaring, okay, is the term they use. Okay. A lot of times they'll pull that tobacco out and they'll let it sit for a day or two, just spread out before they even try to put it in their pipe. You know, so I mean, that's part of what makes pipe smoking so complex is all these little idiosyncrasies that all these tobaccos smoke at different moistures and in different cuts in different ways. And your bowl shape matters and how you fill your bowl matters, how much you tamp your bowl matters. You know, there's just, you know, just the shape of the bowl and the shape of the stem matter, the diameter 
of the drill hole matters um, and the quality of the pipe matters too, you know? So it's, it's, it takes a lot for you to get proficient with a pipe. Once you get proficient with it, it's a great way to smoke because pipe tobacco costs so little comparatively. You spend $20 on two ounces and really a discount, you get it for less than that. Right. But somewhere between 14 to $20, Get you like 20 great smoking experiences, but it's only a great smoking experience once you know how to smoke it. Yeah, where with a cigar, it's pretty much cut it, you don't fuck up the cut, you light it evenly, you occasionally touch it up. It's a pretty forgiving kind of mechanism for smoking, you know what I mean? Where with a pipe, it actually requires some finesse and some technique, and it's just the only way you can get it is by experience. Now, what was, what was the learning curve for the Buncheros with um, placing the pipe tobacco in inside? Was it um, pretty pretty quick? Is it you know? Yeah, this is it's not it's not high. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'd love to tell you that we do something that's really, you know, it's like sprinkle the right amount of tobacco in the right place as a cigar and roll. It's not a it's not it's not it's not there's not rocket science going on here. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's no. I mean, there's there's a little tiny change that we make to the bunching technique, um, you know, to try to make sure that it doesn't give me a lot of pockets, but it's nothing that it's nothing that I couldn't show a, there's nothing that you can't show an experienced bunchero how to do in a matter of five ten minutes, and within an hour they're going to be proficient at it. Now, what about the process after that? After it's rolled, you know, it's in the cool rooms. Does it have to? Does it have to sit outside? I mean, what what's the the process of storing the cigar before you? Can I've never actually... been a traditional cigar. Okay, so it's nothing nothing you have to do different at all. No. This is my favorite of the of the of the three so far we smoked. I really do love. I do enjoy this flavor. I'm getting in a little bit a little bit of pepperiness to it, but not overwhelming. It's got a really nice flavor to it. I, I, I am, I, I'll be honest, I, I am enjoying the cigar way more mm -hmm. than I was the first time around. I, that, that, that fire cured, that smokiness is not. Yeah, but you're just saying that because I'm here. No, no, it's, it's really, because it's, 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 it's not, do, it's not okay. dominant. I remember this cigar being like a Kentucky fire cured type of cigar. And that's what I didn't care for um, because I really don't like that cigar. I don't like fire cured mm. tobacco. Um, and I'm really not getting that th this time around. Um, I'm still getting it, but it's not overpowering. It's just not, enough. Yeah, it, it, it is just enough. Yeah. And I mean, you get you get kind of this almost, it's almost like a leather kind of smell in the aroma. There's kind of that campfire, you know, a little bit of charcoal, a little bit of leather. Um, it has a little bit of a drying property on the palate. It, it's yeah. not like the aromatic and the navy, which are much sweeter tobaccos um, inherently. It isn't uh, – I have to tell you, of all of the Stillwells, I really enjoy this one with scotch. I think it pairs mm. really nice with a good scotch. Um, but, but you are right. It is – I've had to take a little bit of my uh, – a sip of my drink a little bit more with this cigar than the others. It, it is just a little um, a little drying on, on the tongue. Yeah. And I see Steve and Hayes think, Steve, you look so tired. Yeah, I am, dude. I'm I'm beat the fuck. It's been a it's been a rough seven years. It really has. Yeah. I'm like, 
<laughs> it's it's been a rough week for you, and then then little and then then uh, you know the then the last seven years on on top of that. You know, it's just uh, it's been it's it's been it's been rough. Been been really working really really hard, probably too hard. And I, I always keep saying I'm going to dial back, but it's so hard to. So what does a, a sigh have here? Um, oh, yeah, it, it caught up here. Do these sticks perform better at a different home storage level with the with the pipe tobacco? No. I mean, look, I always recommend cigar consumers keep their cigars a little drier. Um, I think that most cigars smoke better between 65 and 68.7. I think that's a much better relative humidity level than the traditional, you know, 70 that they always recommended. Mm. Um, but I think that whatever you're comfortable with is where you should store them. So if you if you like to smoke your cigars slightly on the wetter side, I wouldn't change it. Um, I don't I don't think I would do anything special. Yeah, I, I find like I said, uh, I'm yeah, we like ours a lot drier. When you as a consumer mm -hmm. go to a retailer and you buy cigars, they're almost always too humidified coming out of the humidor. And part of the reason for that is there's the the key to good cigar storage is stability, right? And the problem you have is you have a humidor where the door is being opened and closed, you know, a hundred plus times a day. So what ends up happening is they have severe humidity drops and then they have the humidifiers kick in and then they go up and then it's just a constant cycle of up and down. And as a result, most cigars coming out of a retailer's humidor tend to be a bit overhumidified. In addition to that, most retailers tend to keep their humidors up close to 70. And part of that is because they end up with less damaged cigars because the cigars end up being more pliable. So they're less likely to crack, you know, whether that's slightly higher humidity level. So it saves them money from when the consumers are handling the cigars, or even when they're handling the cigars, just to restock them. So as a general rule of thumb, I feel that almost always when you buy cigars from they almost always come to you a little wetter than they should be. And there are certain manufacturers that ship cigars intentionally a little wet because they end up fitting tighter in the boxes and they get less damage and travel. Um, I tend to pack my cigars on the drier side relatively, comparatively. I mean, most manufacturers will pack cigars at about a 13% absolute moisture content and I won't pack anything that's over 12. I tend to like to be in like 11.5% to 11.7% absolute moisture. So I try to have them more ready to smoke coming out of the box. But once that box is put in a retailer's humidor and it sits there for the next three weeks open, those cigars just come up to whatever humidity the retailer has in their humidor. And as a general rule of thumb, I find most humidors to be a little bit too wet. I, I have a question about, uh, you said Turkish tobacco. Mm -hmm. Is that on the sweeter side? Depends. Some are spicier, some are sweeter. I mean, there's I, a lot of variety. I mean, um, you know, I, I think in this one, I think in the English, I think it's Izmir. Um, and I have to be honest with you, I can't really, I don't think of it as being a very sweet tobacco. No. no. I don't know. For some reason, I'm getting on the retro a little, a, a hint of sweetness that I can't place my finger on bit. what it is what are you getting that too care a little bit just a I, I, tad it's just, just tad. it's so subtle but i don't know what it is so it's bothering me now, now <laughs> when, you talk, when you talk about turkish tobacco um is that 
I, it may sound dumb, but is that Turkey that comes from Turkey, or can you can you make Turkish tobacco in other regions because no, it's a you, process? You could grow it elsewhere, but the, the tobacco when I talk about Turkish, it is actually grown in Turkey. Okay. Yeah. So. So that so that means so when you're when you're buying another Turk, you know, a, I mean the thing about Turkish yeah, tobaccos yeah. is they're typically very aromatic. They're typically smaller size leaves. Um, and they're typically almost always sun cured um, is the way they cure the tobacco is they string it and they hang it in the sun. Um, and, you know, Turkish tobaccos, they tend to be considered to have less nicotine. And they also tend to be to have fewer carcinogens in them. But I don't say that because I don't know. I'm sure the FDA disagrees with that statement. <laughs> I mean, you know, but uh but Turkish tobaccos tend to be one of the milder of the Oriental varieties. So Alan said, like a baking spice. Yeah, Alan, I normally get baking spices from Izmir, cinnamon, allspice, etc. Maybe that's et cetera, kind of what I'm getting. It's like it's just a hint of something that I couldn't put my finger on. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Mm. All right. All right. So let, let's move. Let's move on to our to our final one for the night. The uh, yeah. Um, the, the bayou number 32. Right. So the bayou is the only one of the four that don't have, that does not have the proper name on it. So where Navy, Aromatic, and English are typically cornerstone names that they use in the pipe market, they would typically call this a vapor, which is basically, uh, it's not an acronym. It's kind of a, a nickname of a Virginia VA. With Perique vapor, and it's okay. a whole category of Virginias and Periques. And traditional vapors were always way heavier on the Virginia side with just a little bit of Perique. And then they have what they call like new age vapors. And those are ones that have uh, Perique content that exceeds 10%. Now, this one in particular actually is closer to 20%. So it has quite a bit of Perique in it. Um, and the Perique is tobacco that's grown uh, here in the United States at, uh, you know, in St. James Parish in Louisiana. And as the Izmir is sun cured and as the Burley is fire cured, in this case, um, all the Perique tobaccos are actually, um, they're actually pressure cured. They're, they're pressed very tightly. And that's how those tobaccos are fermented is uh, in a barrel. So and, and, and that juice that comes out is disgusting. Yeah, it, it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's um, but the thing about Perique is it's a very peculiar tobacco. It has almost a figgy raisin quality to it. What did I just write? Raisin, raisin prune. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing that it has is it has uh they, they describe it almost like a umami. Mm. It's a very unique flavor. And the thing that I like about and this, the reason why I think this is my favorite of the four is, number one, I think this is the one that for most cigar consumers, it tastes the most like a traditional cigar. But I also think it's the one that most mimics a vapor pipe experience because the way vapor blends tend to start is they tend to start off rather grassy and they mm -hmm. tend to almost have citrus notes to them. Um, almost a lemony, citrusy kind of nature. And as you smoke it, the perique part of it builds, as does the strength level. 
So of the four, this one starts out really mild, probably as mild as the aromatic, maybe even a touch milder. But when you get down to the band on this one, this is by far the strongest of the four. So I think this is the one that exhibits the most transition uh, from that perspective. And I also think it's the one that probably best mimics the pipe smoking experience of what it's like to smoke a vapor blend. I, I love this uh, so far. I mean, I um, the cold draw was absolutely amazing. I, mm -hmm. I just kept I just kept sucking on the the, the the cigar. Just this amazing like sweet tobacco, not like sugar sweet, but it, it just had this great sweetness on it that man, I absolutely loved. It was that hay like uh, as soon as yeah, I took the first hit, it was that it, it tasted like like you said, coming out all that sweet like aged tobacco. The the hay really has that. Very good flavor to it of 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 an aged tobacco. Yeah, it's like it's got a hay like note, but it's not like it's not like a it's not like it's an unsettling grassiness. Mm -mm. You know what I mean? And and it's got and it's got a little bit of a dryness to it, but you definitely for me it's the citrus that I really get. I really get that that citrusy kind of note out of it, particularly when I retrohale it. So, so how, how are they processing? Um, obviously, I, I've been to a barn smoker. Um, I, I've seen how they press it in the barrels. Um, I, I've seen like the, the tobacco is, it doesn't even look like tobacco when, when, they, when they actually take it out of the barrels. But, uh, but I, I don't know the process of the tobacco after that. I've never learned, I guess I never asked. Um, do they have to dry the tobacco? Because it is wet, it is goopy. Oh God, yes. Yeah. What 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 do they have to do with that? To, you know, tobacco because it's still long filler. Do they have to shred it, or are they able to get get it back into what? What's the process after it comes out wet and goopy? Well, so what will end up happening is it'll typically be under pressure for about three months, right? And then they'll pull those bundles of leaves. You got to understand when I say under pressure, it's under like. 25 to like 30 tons of pressure oh, yeah. okay they're basically forcing out any excess air okay there's like almost no small air pockets even left in the tobacco and what you're getting is after about 90 days they'll then relieve the pressure and they'll pull the bundles out of the barrels and then they'll take those barrel they'll take those bundles out and then they will like unfurl them and they'll re they'll let they'll let oxygen be reintroduced to the leaf for depending on the depending on the processor sometimes as little as 12 hours sometimes 24 hours and then they will refurl the tobacco and they will put it back into the barrel and they'll begin the process again and this is kind of a they call it a what's the term they use it's an anaerobic fermentation and Basically, what they're doing by pulling it out of the barrel and unfurling it and letting it aerate, they actually they actually use a term that we use when we're turning polones. They call it turning. They call it a turn. And, and it'll just continue to ferment until you get all of what you're wanting them to do is you want to get the leaves just completely free of their ammonia. Okay? And what will end up happening is the leaves will turn really black and they'll have a really distinctive kind of flavor to them it's it's a very nuanced kind of thing and i think that's why you talk about the umami thing it can almost have like a a meaniness to it it can have almost a funky cheese to it it can have a almost a mushroom characterization to it it's really kind of uh it's, a, it's got really a savory kind of thing going on 
It's very, very hard for you to put your finger on. But at the same time, there's also some like really sweet notes. Um, some people describe them as cherry. I tend to go more with figgy. Um, some other people will describe them as chocolatey. Uh, another term that you'll get from people with perique is they'll talk about um, the mushroom will come up pretty often. But also you'll sometimes get like a bit of a, a like almost a vinegar note to it. You know, it's a, it's a really it's a really weird thing. And when you balance and then when you take that perique and you pair it with the Virginias, you just got that natural sweetness of the Virginias. And what ends up happening is you then get that perique that enhances it with the flavor of that umami. And it also gives you that spicy kick the more you smoke it. And I think that's one of the reasons why I find this blend of the four to be the one that um, is the most linear to the pipe smoking experience. It's, uh, And I will say, vapor blends are something that most newer pipe smokers really dislike. But it's also where a lot of pipe smokers end up. You know, down the road, you know, they'll go through their aromatics and they'll go through their Englishes and they'll go through all these different things and they'll still smoke them. But for a lot of like serious pipe consumers, really vapor ends up being the one that they end up ultimately going for. Now, the you know, and you won't. And the other thing, too, is that, you know, with the Perique, you're kind of getting that that I don't know how to it's like it's. It's uh, it's unlike the burly, where the burly kind of gives you a nuttiness. You don't get any of that. You're getting much more of a fruity note with a bit more earth and savory in it. It's a it's a it's a really interesting tobacco. Yeah, this one mm. out of all the cigars is my favorite. This is the one that I like the most. Uh, now, now it's it's funny you say mushroom because when when I originally uh, retroed. I don't eat mushrooms. They're disgusting. No, they're the best. But as, as, as soon as as soon as I retroed, that's like it, it, just my brain popped up mushroom. You know, because obviously I you know I used to be a chef, so I, I cooked with lots of mushrooms. But it was that fresh mushrooms that we used to get in from the farms, and you'd open up that container and you'd get that that whiff, and that's what I was getting on the retro on this mm. one was mm. that 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 yeah, mushroom got, like, earth. A raisiny date so i see that comment by michael thomas he just posted you get the most flavor from the bayou is to smoke it as slow as possible and i agree with that hmm. now the, now there the, was there was the the another the slower you are to smoke this one the more of that nuance you will really get and be able to appreciate it these are these are cigars that really these are. I don't think these are cigars that you should spend your money on just smoke casually. I think. I think they really need a little focus to get your money's worth out of them. You know. I, I think if you're if you're looking for something to burn while you're in your truck or while you're working in your yard, I really think you're wasting your fifteen bucks. If it's the aromatic, okay, but with like the Bayou, no, nah, don't do that. You really. It's just, gonna, it's just you're just gonna miss out on what it has. <laughs> it's something that you really want to kind of focus on. In order to appreciate. Now, uh, Dave says, "What color would you say Stillwell has? Not Maduro, but natural?" Question mark. Uh, look, it's look, it's so it's an Ecuador Habano wrapper, right? But it's a darker Habano. I mean, it's kind of Maduro in color, but it's not a Maduro tobacco. Does that make any sense? 
Yeah. I mean, because look, there's 67 different shades of brown. Okay. And on that 67 shades of scale, roughly 15 of the shades fit into the Maduro category. So tobacco by color can be Maduro, but it may not necessarily be a Maduro tobacco, where a Maduro tobacco are ones that are fermented at a higher temperature. So like broadleaf, Pennsylvania seed leaf, San Andreas Negro, those are Costa Rica Marone. Those are traditionally Maduro style tobaccos. Okay, but here's the funny part. Just because they're Maduro tobaccos does not necessarily mean they end up Maduro in color. I mean, you, you, that's why we have we have San Andreas Negro Claro. We call it Claro because it's a lighter color of brown. It's much more in that EMS Colorado grade. I would say that most of the Stillwell stores kind of at the top end of Colorado Maduro color-wise is kind of where I would put them. But it's definitely a Cuban seed tobacco, which is not a Maduro tobacco. Uh, Chris Duquet said these are a nightcap in his opinion, of course, with ice cream. Yeah, with, with ice cream. But uh, somebody had a comment above him. Uh, which one was this? Um, Steve, what was the cigar that got you into cigars? That's a that, that's a that's a whole. Uh, no, there was. Or, sorry, that that was one? a good question, but that was the one, Jesse. Oh, okay, Jesse. Uh, Steve, are the pipe tobaccos specifically made for you, or are they established blends? The pipe tobaccos yeah. are made especially for Stillwell only. There is no there is no comparable off the shelf. But now, there are things that are close because, like I said before, there are literally thousands of different pipe tobaccos out there. I mean, the the separation sometimes comes down to just a couple percentage points or a slightly different origin of a particular leaf variety. So, I mean, there are tobaccos that are similar, uh, but they're not they're not identical. The ones that are for Stillwell are made expressly for Stillwell. So I, I remember uh, when uh, it was been a couple of years, Aaron and I, we were at that rolling event there at, uh, at Corona in Orlando. And you were telling me about, you know, you'd been making, you know, cigars for years with pipe tobacco in it. You know, you've always right. something you've always done for your for yourself. Yeah, because um, I'm lazy. So I like yeah. to smoke a pipe. <laughs> Even when you're experienced that it still requires fiddling. You got to carry a pipe. You got to carry a special lighter. You got to carry a tamper. You got to carry pipe cleaners. You got to carry the pipe tobacco in its pouch. You got to have the little sock for the pipe. It's hard to smoke when you're in the car driving. You know what I mean? So I would take some of my favorite pipe tobaccos just off the shelf and I would add them to other blends. I used to I used to sprinkle pipe tobaccos into Liga Provadas, you know, oh. for me to smoke. Mm, nice. So so when you so when you went to so was, was Jeremy at Cornelian deal deal, was he your first like you went to him first, like you, you knew him, or did you approach it was really kind of odd how it happened? Um he approached me at a trade show and uh well actually was it a trade show or was it online first? I think the first time was it was on a trade show floor. He approached me and he told me how much he liked my cigars. And I thanked him. And then I ended up looking for him on Facebook. And I realized that this Jeremy Reeves was that Jeremy Reeves. You know, you meet so many people. And then I was like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. And then we just started communicating back and forth because I was a huge fan of his work. But he didn't know that. You know what I mean? So, and that's kind of what it got started. And then I was telling him about how I made, how I was using some of his tobaccos <laughs> to just throw together cigars for my own self. 
And then he said, well, I'd like to try some of those. So then I sent him some of those and it kind of rolled from there. And, and the thing is, you know, COVID happened and I couldn't go to Nicaragua every month like I normally did in 2020, but I could go to South Carolina. So I started, started going to the Cornell and Deal Pipe Tobacco Factory and, uh, and I really kind of grew out of that. I mean, had COVID not happened, there probably wouldn't be still well right now because I wouldn't have had time to even invest in trying to do the project. So kind of a weird way of circumstances. So yeah, yeah he's, he's also a cigar smoker. He's, he's pipe first, cigar second. Whereas I'm cigar first, pipe second, you know. And it's always really cool to talk to somebody because he really knows what he's doing. And you learn a lot when you talk to him. And it is kind of funny because there are things that we both know. And there's things that we both don't know. Because it's there are things that are different. You know what I mean? So uh, for me, it was a kid in a candy store to hang out at the pipe tobacco factory, you know, and, you know, to learn more about, because I, I was just a consumer. I mean, I'm not even, I never even participated in pipe groups. I occasionally read some of the boards, but I, I never got active in the pipe community. Plus two, part of it is it's branding. Okay. Just to be blunt with you. I mean, I'm so known as a cigar guy. I can't be a pipe. You know what I mean? It's like it just confuses the message too much for the consumer, you know, from my perspective. And the other thing, too, is uh, it's one thing to be a, somebody that loves something and really enjoys it. And maybe I'm really experienced at it, but it's not the same as actually knowing and being an expert. You know what I mean? I, I would be I would be a keyboard expert. That's what I would be. Yeah, um, you know. <laughs> so uh, Chris Duque wants to know if Jeremy's coming to PCA. Oh yeah, Jeremy will come to PCA. Look, they uh, yeah, they'll be at PCA, no doubt about it. Yeah, and they uh, they're they're one of the you know they 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 Cordell and Deal sells to almost every tobacconist in the country. They're one of the most popular pipe manufacturers, pipe tobacco manufacturers out there, and they're also their company is also a cigar seller. Smokingpipes.com. Um, they started getting into selling handmade cigars a few years ago. It's kind of an interesting site, too, because it's one of the few sites where you can buy singles of everything. Okay, because they're set up for it. Because, look, they're in the business where they sell tins of tobacco that cost, you know, they sell, you know, you can buy two ounces of Lane 1Q for, what, $5, $6? And they will individually bag you two ounces in a Ziploc and send it to you. So they have the infrastructure, they have the bodies. So they, whereas most cigar retailers don't have the capacity to do those type of small, you know, chicken shit sales, um, they're set up to do that, okay? Because they sell everything in these little two ounce cans all the time, you know, 50 grams, two ounces, you know? So they, the way their warehouse is set up, the way their packers are set up. So they sell cigars by singles. It's a little confusing as a cigar consumer, and you go to their website because you can't buy a whole box of cigars. So if you want to buy a box of Stillwell, you have to buy 13 cigars. Okay. You 13 cigars, yeah. and you will then get a box. Okay. But if you want to buy a box of uh, whatever, double Chateau Fuentes, I don't even know how many come in that box. 20, I think. You have to buy 20, and then you'll get the whole box. So it's a little weird, you know, for cigar consumers. But they, they're, they, you know, they were primarily catering to the pipe guys. 
care what what are you what are you thinking on on this cigar i'm digging it i do like it i i, I still will go back to the uh the 27 is my favorite but uh i'm interested to see as this gets further down to the band as steven had mentioned before i'm, I'm curious what what more is going to come it, it's it's for me it's increasing already uh uh the, the last retro i did burnt like hell like that spice was there you know where where it wasn't it was a little a little smoother a little milder at the beginning and it it is definitely picked up hmm. steve do you feel that covid and the prevalence of streaming events got your line more notice um yeah i think so i mean look all, all press helps in some way right the more connections but i'll say this it's not like everybody wasn't beating all the video podcasts, you know. So I think I think everybody was, you know, out there doing more of them than other people. I mean, it's you can you can use the media to get attention, but ultimately the product has to be worth smoking. So you can get people to try things, but it doesn't make them buy it more than once. Mm -hmm. So it, it all eventually comes back to is the product good or is the product not good? You know, it, that's where it all ultimately falls. But yeah, look, the, the, all of everything that you do, all the marketing helps. And this is definitely a component of marketing. But, you know, for me also, I just like to talk cigars. I like to talk to cigar smokers. So this comes a little more natural to me than other people because... I'm still a cigar geek at heart, right? Whereas, um, and look, you, you you guys all see the podcast. I mean, I mean, so much of what you get in a podcast is really just kind of more the marketing aspect of things, you know. And I mean, and I don't, and I wouldn't say that what I'm doing is not marketing. It definitely is. I mean, every time I open my mouth, could be construed as marketing. But I, I also think that consumers. Over time and experience, they can kind of sort the wheat from the chaff and they can figure out what's authentic and what isn't authentic. And, and in defense of a lot of the people that you do see, you got to understand they're, they are on the sales side of things. That's what their perspective of the industry is. They don't actually go to the factory. Yeah, sure. They went with their company to the factory for three days, once a year for their annual sales meeting. But you know, they don't they don't buy tobacco. They don't sort tobacco. They wouldn't know if a bunchero was bunching right or wrong, if they were right in front of them. You know what I mean? They, they just don't have the experience, and nor should they. But it, it makes a difference when you do have that experience because it makes you comfortable to talk about all aspects of things in a way that doesn't feel forced. Yeah. On the downside of that, it also makes you a little bit more hypercritical, a little bit less... Uh, you know, a little less, um, a little less dogmatic, um, you know, so it can work to your advantage. It can not work to your advantage. Uh, Chairman Lai, uh, no, our new lounge build out is not complete. We are definitely months away from getting that, from getting that, uh, um, yeah, finished up. So yeah, so <laughs> a lot of, a lot of work on that. So when, when you were, when you were, when you're blending, when you started blending with, with the, with the pipe tobacco, in the cigars, obviously you've been doing it a long time, you know, for, for yourself, but when you, you know, when you're starting to blend these cigars for the consumer, did you start off 
with a little like a little bit of pipe tobacco work your way up or would you start off with a lot work your way down um i started off with the saber mountain all of them okay and then i went up and down depending and then i ended up adjusting i started with so i made from a cigar perspective i made four basic core blends that i thought would be the most easy to adapt to the pipe tobaccos okay so you started oh. off with okay so we started off with four cigar blends and I started off with just two pipe tobaccos to see how they play within those four core cigar blends. And then I determined which of the core cigar blends was the one that I wanted to use as the benchmark to work from. And then we started incorporating the pipe tobaccos and we started with them all evenly, three grams a piece. And then once I zeroed in on the pipe tobaccos in the core cigar blend that I wanted, we then started to adjust the individual cigar blend and the individual amount of the pipe tobaccos that went into the blend until I got a happy, happy where I wanted it. I have to say of all the projects I've ever done, this is probably the one that had the most sampling involved in it. And honestly, I fucking hated this project when we launched it. I still kind of hate it, to be honest with you. The amount of, the <laughs> amount of time and effort and work that went into this and, you know, and look, it's really you get so lost in the weeds because you're talking such minor differences from some of these that, you know, you just kind of agonize and agonize and agonize over them. It, it becomes a little maddening. And if you talk to Cindy, she would tell you I was I was pretty much cursing this brand before we ever launched. And I really I, I was to, I was totally sick of it before we put it in a box. <laughs> What was there? Was there a specific pipe tobacco that that you've always loved and you really wanted to use in 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 a Stillwell cigar, but it just didn't work out? You know, or or you know, pretty much everything you you tried, it was you know, it was. Look, it was I, I have some real favorites. I mean, I love uh, GLP's Chelsea Morning. I love Drucker and Sons First Amendment. Um, I mentioned Cornell and Deal's Pirates Cake. I mentioned that corn cob pipe. I'll tell you a nice aromatic that's out there is um, it's one that's uh, Cornell and Deal makes for uh, is it for warped? Uh, oh yeah, yeah. It's uh, the the scarecrow one. Yeah, yeah. Someone just sent me a picture of that like last week, uh, and yeah. uh, and I didn't know that they were making it for warped. It's too it's too aromatic for me, but I like to cut it. You know what I mean? Um, I still smoke the old Dunhill, now Peterson, English Morning Pipe, the EMP, and the Nightcap. I, I think those are really great tobaccos. I enjoy those immensely. Um, I really like from Cornell and Deal. I really like their uh, Bayou Morning and Bayou Night. And that was one of the reasons why I went with the – I actually used the word Bayou because of those blends um, because it's another way – when you say Bayou in the name of a blend – the pipe tobacco guys get that it has Perique in it. So a lot of vapor blends, Bayou or something, Cajun cake or something related to, you know, uh, Mississippi Delta or Louisiana is in the naming, in the naming nomenclature. So I knew that by using, I knew if I put vapor on it, it was going to really confuse cigar smokers. Uh, Bayou was much more romantic. And I knew for the pipe people, they would understand what Bayou meant. By using the term "bayou," all right. Uh, now, David, no, we have not dropped the code yet for the ashtray, so uh, we'll uh, we'll be dropping that um, here shortly. There was a question somebody wanted to know was because of the response that you got from all the Stillwells, was it worth the headache? 
Um, <coughs> you know, ask me in about five years. <laughs> I mean, look, if it's if it's something that if it's something that only sells for a couple years and then kind of fades away, I'll consider it a failure. I mean, I'll, I'll be disappointed in it. I mean, uh, I mean, Stillwell Stars are a great fucking name. It's a great brand design. I could have used it for something else that was a much safer bet. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and look, it's uh, and you know, so you know, so you got all the work in the cigars and all the work in the pipe tobaccos, and and then you take what I think is a solid brand concept. And then you waste it on it. That sucks, man. Because, I mean, look, everyone's making a million brands all the time. Um, but I don't I don't like to make things that are ultimately throwaways. I don't like I like to I don't want to be on the hamster wheel. I, I want to make stuff that has. You can't say that something is going to be successful, but what you're hoping is you're hoping to make something that has the ability or the opportunity to be successful. And I think that there are a lot of products that are introduced into the marketplace that really don't stand a chance in hell. Okay. And I see them every single year. And you can see some are just DOA before they even, before the first box is even on a retailer shelf. Like there's just no chance in hell this is going to work. And you see others and you're like, okay, maybe they're going to get a year or two out of this and it's going to kind of go the way. But I mean, to make something that really has the potential to be long-term successful that's uh, that's that that's that's not so easy, and and the other thing too is you know a lot of people they gosh how do I say it without being derogatory they just don't know what the fuck they're doing they really just don't they don't have any concept of who their consumer is what their consumer really wants what what history has shown as being successful, what history has shown as being the things that don't look like they would be successful but that ultimately turn out to be successful. I mean, I really get the feeling that a lot of cases, people are just throwing darts at a wall mm -hmm. and just kind of hoping that something catches. And, um, and look, I'm hoping for the same thing, but I'm not throwing darts at a wall. I really, I really have an idea as to what I'm trying to accomplish, who I think it's for, where I think it fits into somebody's rotation or who the consumer would be that would add this to their rotation. And I'm also thinking about the long-term sustainability of things because one of the things that's the most consistent in any brand long-term is that it be consistent. So you can make something really great in a small run of 10,000, 15,000, 25,000 cigars, but can you repeat that on a consistent basis year after year after year, because you're never getting the same materials. You're always going to have to adjust. You're always going to have to tweak. So how are you going to be able to do that? <laughs> I think a lot of other things is I think too few manufacturers really pay attention or maybe manufacturers in the right word, blenders. They think about the flavor and the aroma, but they don't really think of the mechanics of how it's going to work in the cigar because just the cigar drawing well and burning well and staying lit is so much of the game you know what i mean uh, these things are so critical because if it doesn't do all of those things the flavor will never be consistently right i mean it's got to burn hot but not too hot 
It's got to burn cool, but not too cool. It's got to, you got all these different tobaccos. How do they burn evenly with one another? Because they don't burn evenly by themselves. So you got to make sure that you're putting them together in a way that's ultimately going to deliver a smoother, even kind of smoking experience. And even when you put all that time and attention into it, you still get cigars that are fucked up. You still get cigars that tunnel. You still get cigars that cone. And you still get cigars that, you know, burn and canoe. But you want it to be the exception rather than the common occurrence. You know, so, I mean? so would it be fair to say that you have a better chance of getting your pipe tobacco to be more consistent than the actual cigar blends if you were to run out of certain tobaccos for the cigar, but the pipe tobacco would still be there? Let me say this. That's really up to Jeremy. Okay. This is where I'm going to have to rely on his expertise. You know, luckily for me, it's only three grams in an 18 gram experience, right? Okay. So I, what I needed to do is I needed to stay in the ballpark that it delivers the bayou, the English, the aromatic and whatnot. Mm. But look, as the brands, if the brands become, if the blends become successful, what ends up ultimately happening is the consumer that buys it by the box on the regular, they end up becoming more intimately familiar with the flavor than even I do. Mm. Look, there even in my look, my portfolio is quite wide right now. There are some cigars that I smoke all the time because they're my favorites, and there's other ones that I smoke because I have to for quality control, right? I rarely smoke a sober mesa robusto. Mm. If I'm smoking a regular sober mesa, I almost always smoke a Cervantes Fino, or I end up smoking. I smoked. I probably smoked my first short Churchill for pleasure this morning that I've smoked probably in 90 days. You know what I mean? I smoke them because I have to smoke them, but when I want the regular Sober Mesa, I tend to smoke the Elegante and Cedros, or I tend to smoke the Cervantes Fino. When I smoke Tricky Traca, I smoke mostly the number 648. It's the one I smoke the most of, followed by the 652. You know, uh, in Brulee, I smoke way more Brulee Blues. Mm -hmm. I, I rarely smoke the Brulee Gordo. You know, I, I don't get to the end of the night and go, wow, I want to have a brulee gordo. <laughs> but, <laughs> okay, but the guy that buys a brulee gordo and he buys it on the regular and it's one of his favorite cigars, I have to make sure that it consistently gives him what he expects out of that cigar. And that's why consistency of experience is so critical. And that's also why consistency of recipe is a, is a death now. Because if you treat if you treat tobaccos like they're a Betty Crocker recipe, you're setting yourself up for failure because there is a bit of art to it. There's a bit of nuance to it. And it's the same way as a chef. Sometimes you get tomatoes and they're more acidic. Sometimes you get tomatoes that are sweeter. So, you know, sometimes you got to add sugar. Sometimes you got to add a little bit squeeze of a lemon or something to counterbalance that dish to get that dish where it needs to be. Because the ingredients are never going to be identical. Because guess what? Tomatoes are natural, and they're and they're or, they're an organic <clears throat> element. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They don't yeah. taste the same. The only way they taste the same is when they turn them into ketchup, and they add all sorts of extra ingredients to them that makes it that way. But you don't have that ability to do that in a in a handmade cigar. That's the reason why I can tell you right now, a Swisher Sweet is a far more consistent smoking experience than any handmade cigar ever will be. It's just the nature of the beast. Now, how often are you are you having to call the factory, you know, after getting in a box, sampling it, and then saying, hey, you know. No, I do that in Nicaragua. 
Oh, you do that in Nicaragua. Yeah, I'm always, so. I look, I'm sampling stuff here all the time, but I mean, I, I sample a lot of stuff there. And a lot of that sampling is done in advance when I know that, okay, we're moving into these bales, we're moving out of those, okay. bales, we're moving into this season, out of that season. I'm making the tweaks in the front end. Okay, so it's not so it's not random. It's just you just know when you're moving into a new tobacco, you need to try but it. But every once in a while, you know, I, I find things that – and I find blends that I'm not happy with. Like uh, Very rarely will I change a blend after it's made, but I changed the blend on Sin Compromiso Intrepido because after a year, I was really, like, really let down by that cigar. Year, year and a half in, I was like, man, this isn't right. It wasn't what I intended it to be. And I went back and I fixed it. Okay. The choice for me was either fix it or discontinue it because I really didn't like it. You know, so I had to fix it, is what I ended up doing. I don't think most consumers noticed. I don't think anyone noticed. I don't think if I said it out loud, they would have noticed, but I noticed. Intrepidos today are a far better cigar than when I released them. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. That, 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 is, that is definitely mm -hmm. interesting. Um, What's everybody thinking of this cigar? For this, me, this one's it, my favorite. It is fucking ramping up. I can, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, I, I like th it. Yeah, th th <laughs> this this one is this one's getting a whole lot bolder. I can tell yeah, you that one. Definitely in the wheelhouse. Yeah. yeah, this one is because I like that on the retro that it has that that raisiny date, like in that earthy tone, but with a little bit of um, there's definitely a like a spice there that I can't really place, but um, but this one is one of my favorites, and the navy is my like second favorite. So interesting because they're two totally different cigars, mm -hmm. but I like their profiles the best. So so with with your with your uh, the new one you're releasing for for the the, the winter blend is that going to be a a one time release for yeah, be one time? Okay, so one time. Let me take that back because I don't ever want to say that. <laughs> if if people like it that much, I could add it to Stillwell Light as another aromatic. Okay, um, but, but 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 how do you, how do you judge that? Because obviously, <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> you're Steve Saka. Everything you release, everybody flocks to it. Everybody buys that. So. How, you know, until you know, so no, I won't judge it on sales because they're all going to sell out. I already know that. Oh, okay. Okay, so sales are a non. What'll really be a more determining factor is, do I find consumers are asking for more of it? Do I find the retailers saying to me they want more of it? Oh, okay. Have consumers that are saying they want more of it. I mean, that'll be a more determining factor than anything else. Uh, can, can you give us a, a hint on between the four what the winter blend's gonna kind of? Yeah, this this particular this particular one's an aromatic. Okay, it, it's it's definitely, but it doesn't have a sweet cap. Okay. Oh, you did say that earlier. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of a it's kind of a caramel toffee kind of thing. Huh, interesting. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's a I think I, I really I actually like this better than the aromatic number one personally. But I think part of that's just the fact that I didn't sweet tip it, hmm. you know, and yeah. so I, and I'm not, and I'm not, which may be a reason why it won't be popular, right? Because the people that tend to lean towards those flavor profiles may be disappointed by the fact that it isn't sweet tip. It's, it's really hard to know. These are, look, I know who the consumer is for brulee and I know who the consumer is for tricky truck and I understand who the consumer is for some compromiso. No one has ever gone into a cigar store and said, Hey, 
I really wish you had a cigar with some bright Virginia, some red stove Virginia, and a touch of burly in it. Do you have anything like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So is there's not like there's a there's, <laughs> there's a built-in consumer, you know what I mean, for these cigars. Just the same way as there was no built-in consumer for acid when it first came out. Well, that that's interesting because do you feel like the aromatic uh, has introduced people to somewhat of a, a sweeter type of cigar? Because you know there's so many people out there that are like, I won't smoke an acid, anything infused, it's too much, it's too perfumey. Do you, have you gotten any feedback that the aromatic is I don't, actually pleasant? I don't know. Like I said, the numbers and the sales are all near identical. Yeah. So I don't have a gauge for that. Yeah. I think, I think the I think the people that and this is one of the reasons I'm interested to go to the trade show is it'll be interesting to hear what the individual retailers say to me about yeah. the experiences that they're having in their shops. Because look, my experience is the consumers online, and look, we can all see people post tons of pictures of my Sincomper Miso. People post tons of pictures of my Mikeritas and my Umbagogs and brulees yes. and all of that. They, they post pictures of Stillwell, but not nearly as many as they post of the other brands. But yet, Stillwell right now is one of my best-selling cigars. Crazy. Right? Now, oh. now uh, um, Chris Duque wanted to know what year. He wants to check his date codes. What year did you uh, tweak the uh, Sin Compromiso Intrepido? Oh, I don't know. I'd have to go back and figure that out. All right. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to go through his gonna, no, 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 he's going to bring all of his boxes to the PCA and trade them in uh, for, for new ones. I can definitely say the ones – it happened before – it happened before we did the band change. So there were some with the whiter bands on them that were both variations. All the ones that are darker, the more cream parchment color – Bands are definitely the new blend for certain. Okay. Now, what what do you have a, uh, you know, I, I know you're talking about, uh, you know, you're waiting to see which one maybe will fall off and you can, you can introduce a new one. Um, if that doesn't happen and, and all of them still continue to sell, do you have a time frame of, of introducing the, the yeah, other once ones? Once a year for a holiday. Oh, so, so, just, I, so what I'll do this year is I want to do another aromatic, right? Because I don't yeah. know where the brand is. What I'm hoping is I'm hoping that Stillwell does well so that next year's holiday release can be the Balkan. Hmm. Because I think the Balkan would have a lot of appeal for the people that tend to smoke my heavier cigars. The people that like Unstolen Valor and the Tricky Trocas and all of those cigars, the, the Mike Rita Black that's coming out. I think the, I think they'll really enjoy the Balkan. Um, I don't know if they'll enjoy it because of the pipe aspect of it. But they'll definitely enjoy it because of the strength level impact of it. So I, I think I would like I'd like to do the Balkan, um, but I wasn't ready to pull the trigger on the Balkan yet because the Balkan's a little scary when most of the Stillwells are such mm -hmm. a relatively smooth kind of balanced kind of experience. You know what I mean? So and these are the type of things I have to think about. I have to think about: Am I going to upset the apple cart by introducing something? Like I mentioned earlier in the show, you saw the question, are you going to do more brulee blues? I actually already have. I've already made a big blue. I was planning on releasing them this year. But for business reasons, I'm deciding not to because the regular blues are selling so well, I don't want to step on top of the regular blues. If I can't fulfill all the backorders on the regular blues, why am I going to introduce another blue and make my life even more complex and even more difficult? I mean, I know consumers... 
they would like for me to just put out a new cigar every fucking day, but there are business concerns. It's not like it's not like I dial up the Willy Wonka cigar machine and just spit stuff out. You know, it's, it, there's actually, I actually have to really think about it, and I have to make commitments to tobacco, and I have to allocate my labor. I mean, over the last couple of years, I've had to make choices that I don't necessarily want to make, um, like putting Totos Las Dias on hiatus. I didn't want to put Totos Las Dias on hiatus, but I had no choice because I only had so much of a particular material that was ready to go, and that particular material was also in Sin Compromiso. So what am I going to do? Am I going to derail Sin Compromiso so I can make Totos Las Dias? Sin Compromisos are selling way quicker. It's growing much faster. It has a much wider audience. And guess what? I make more money making Sin Compromiso than I make making a Totos Las Dias, at least on a contribution per stick level, not on a profit margin level. So I had to make the choice. Um, same way as I had to kill two sizes in Sober Mesa. It wasn't like they weren't selling, but I can only have so much self space on a retailer's shelves. As we grow the company and we have more offerings, the retailers are only going to give me so many facings in their humidor. They can't make it an all DTT humidor. And all the big companies, you know, they try to jam it down the retailer's throats where, oh, you got to carry all 80 of our different products. But that never goes over well. Right. So I have to decide. I can tell you right now, I'm killing two sizes of Umbagog. All the Umbagogs sell great. Okay. But from a production viewpoint, it's difficult to have six when I really think I could accomplish it in four and I could satisfy the vast majority of my consumers. The people that smoke the Churchill and Umbagog, they're going to be disappointed. The people that smoke the short and fat are going to be disappointed. I literally sell a thousand bundles of each every single month. They're perfectly great sellers, but I know for the long-term viability of the brand and for me to streamline my production, it'd be much better to have more people rolling Toros and Robustos that give me more flexibility than have just two pairs that only roll the Churchill. You know, So these are the type of things that I have to think about when I'm deciding what to do is for the long-term viability of the product to make it consistently and also to maximize the turn value for the retailer because for the retailer, <coughs> all they care about is the sales. So, yeah. so I, yeah, have to, you did I have to make these decisions all the time. And it's, you just can't be simple. Part of the problem in our business is most of these people just think, Oh, if it's selling, it's good. Just because something is selling is not necessarily good. If it doesn't actually work toward the long-term strategy of where you want the company to go and how efficient you are in production, because how efficient I'm in production ends up ultimately determining how short my back orders are. Okay. It also determines what my cost factors are. Well, my cost factors directly impact the price that consumers pay for these cigars. So if I can get rid of something and it ends up basically saving me eight cents per unit by doing so, then that makes a difference. Doesn't sound like a big deal, but when you're talking a hundred thousand units, eight cents really makes a difference to the bottom line. So these are the type of things that I have to take into consideration when I'm when I'm doing these things. Yeah. Now, now, are there any retailers that you know if you're getting rid of the short and fat, and they say, "Hey, that's our number one seller. Can that be?" our shop exclusive. Well, that's even a bigger pain in the ass. Now I'm going to make a oh. small batch of short. <laughs> okay. That's, that's even worse. Uh, no, they're just going to have to lump it and suck it up. 
I mean, yeah. and move I mean, along. The, the Robustos. I mean, look, Total Sauce, for, I had some shops that Total Sauce Diaz was their best-selling Dunbarton brand in their store. They were really upset. Now, what I'm going to do at this trade show is I'm going to make Total Sauce Diaz thick Lawndale's available for pre-order. If you're a retail shop and you have customers that really want it, I'm willing to. I Now, at this point in the year, I know I have enough of this particular filler tobacco to satisfy my sin compromiso. I've already seen the tobacco that I'm going to be using next year come out of the Polones, so I feel comfortable in my inventory level. I feel okay with making some Totos Las Dias. So I'll make it available to those retailers that want. Now, if it turns out the two retailers want it, I'll make it for those two retailers. turns out 300 retailers want, I'll make it for those 300. I'll give them the ability to order it, but ultimately I just I have to make these decisions all the time because to not do so is just stupid. Now, someone had a, um, a comment, or somebody, Ronnie, the 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 me Carita uh, black. Mm -hmm. um, now, uh, what what is? I mean, because I, I know that's one that you're going to be releasing. I haven't heard too much info. I, I've seen a couple postings, and I, I haven't clicked on it. What what is the new the the new me Carita black? So the me Carita black is a deviation of the me Carita blend um, with a higher grade of material. Um, you know, better creaming, better sorting. Um, a slightly different blend. Um, and it's also using one material that was coming out of a pilot crop um, that's different than any other material. So for someone that has a really great palate, they might be able to tell the difference. For someone that doesn't, they might just think it's another Mike Rita and not even really notice the difference. Other than the fact that I'm going to charge them three bucks more for it. So. <laughs> now, now, is it, is it, um, um, uh, going to be a bolder, spicier, stronger. Um, where's it no, falling in line? Slightly different. I think it falls somewhere between the blue and the red. I mean, it has just a, a slightly different flavor characteristic to it. I think it's. Uh, I think it's. Uh, I think it's a little. I don't think it's stronger, but I think it's a little more fuller in flavor. Would be kind of the way I would describe it. Um, and look, even this release I'm doing. So last year. It's the same scar I did for JR 50th. You know, those had the Mike Rita black bands on them. So this is a project that I knew I was going to do over three years ago. And when I got in the crunch last year, I didn't have time to make a special blend. So I ended up using the Mike Rita black blend because I had enough tobacco good to go. And it turns out I have enough tobacco to make this year roughly another 3,500 boxes. But I won't have any more tobacco ready because the first real crop won't be ready to start actually making cigars until hopefully the winter, like January or so of this year. But I don't know that that's true because it's still it's still being worked right now. But I don't have enough tobacco to actually fully launch until that tobacco is ready. But what I do have is I have enough tobacco left from the pilot crop that what am I going to do with it? Because by the time I do actually release the brand, this tobacco would have an additional two years of age on it, which would then make it very hard to make me carry the black consistent if I'm using tobacco that has a full two-year head start yeah. on the other tobaccos. So rather than me mulch it up and throw it in pulpettas or sell it to someone else or do whatever, it seems like this is a really good way to use this really high-quality material and kind of let the retailers have something special that's uh, a one-time for this year release. For me, Rita Black. Now, if it turns out the tobacco that I have currently being worked doesn't turn out the way I think, 
And guess what? There won't be any Miki Rita Black in 2023. I'm I'm wholly dependent upon the tobacco turning out the way it is. So that's that's really all Miki Rita Black is. It's really again me trying to be efficient. How can I do something not be wasteful? Really good materials. Blend is already done. It's already perfected in this size. I've made other sizes that I'm intentionally intending on doing, but I don't have enough tobaccos to go ahead and if I have enough to make 3,500 boxes in one size, if I make four box, four sizes, then what? I got enough tobacco to make seven, 800 boxes. That's just a disaster, <laughs> right? That I'm going to try to get a retailer to put a brand on their shelf that I'm basically going to sell them one time and then it's just going to instantly disappear for <laughs> a, at a year minimum, right? Yeah. It just doesn't make any sort of sense. So here's a way for me to use the tobacco, give it to the retailers. I think they'll do very, very well with it. I know the feedback from the ones from last year that I used for the JR 50th anniversary, they did exceptionally well. Uh, in fact, they did so well. I was just with those guys there. They're like, they're like, we had the most successful JR 50th, like hands down. I mean, it sold out in a few days and uh, they didn't have any others that did that. And, and, so they they, they they want me to they want me to make it for them but i'm not doing that um it was never intended to be that you know i always had intended on it being a, an addition to the to the to the uh to the mek Rita line but, and, and then but before we get into your next cigar bewitch i'm gonna have everybody so we got like 104 people watching now start typing in the word ashtray just start typing in that's going to be our keyword and we'll do a random comment picker here in a couple of minutes so i know it's going to take everybody a few minutes to get to get the word ashtray in um and then uh, uh bewitched now that was another uh, um that was a blend that uh that was uh from the owl shop different. bewitched was something that i made expressly for the owl shop that was a blend that i made for their anniversary for their 70 their 75th anniversary and it just turned out so good that i just had to make more of that blend i really i really i really love the bewitched blend i i think I'm just starting to get feedback from consumers and retailers on it, and it seems like it seems like they are appreciating it too. I'm a little concerned about it because well, I'm concerned about everything all the time. But I the thing about Bewitched is there's nothing distinctive about it. There's nothing like you can't say, oh, it's a really spicy cigar or it's a really strong cigar or it's a real chocolatey cigar or it's a real earthy cigar or it's a real this cigar. You know what I mean? It's a very just really smooth and medium bodied and very creamy and just really tasty. You know what I mean? There's light notes of like caramel in it. There's light notes of cafe in it. There's a very gentle spice to it. It's a very balanced kind of elegant kind of cigar. And so you sometimes wonder, is there a market for that in a, in, a, in a consumer population that now basically drinks Sriracha with a straw? You know what I mean? <laughs> everything, is, everything has just kind of gone to extremes. So is there a consumer that will appreciate this style of cigar? Luckily for me, by being in the Muestra line, it gives me a lot more flexibility because the Muestra line is a place where I get to experiment with these more unique, a little bit odder blends. Um, you know, so, but I, 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 I'm pretty, I'm pretty jazzed about 
what the initial feedback is on the Bewitched, and because I love the Bewitched, but it's really a hard cigar to. I'm going to be really interested to read all the media reviews and to see what flavor notes they attribute to it. Because obviously they have to write these essays that are like 18,000 words. So I'm wondering what words are going to use for something that I'm telling you is rather nondescript. It just tastes fucking good. I mean, I, I, I like it. We, we went through yeah. one box well, yeah. I, I, when they were the owl shop. You know, right. so so we so we still have, I think, a half a box. Yeah, it's uh, a good cigar. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a good it's a good cigar. Um, all right, I think everybody's got their uh, uh, their term ashtray in. No, no, I still see ashtrays coming. I would slow Do down. You? Oh no, uh, just yeah, just. They're piling I don't through, know. If, I don't know if it's. Yeah, multiple... there, there's there's a couple people there that I that I've noticed that have typed in uh, typed in twice, but the random it it, 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 it it picks <laughs> out the. Uh, um, the, the, the other people i noticed i loved how it jumped because i know everybody right now is like telling their wives to hop on and start typing in the word <laughs> ashtray as well because as soon as i said that like the numbers yeah you know, like like an extra 25 people you know hop hopped all, on can you tell us about this ashtray though a little bit yeah what was the uh um where, where, where did that start like like did you see an ashtray being made yeah. no i so a good friend of mine is Gustavo Cura. He is the president of uh, Prosanixa. They are that's a Liva tobacco company in Nicaragua, and I stay at his house all the time. And um, he had this uh, he had this ashtray that was like carved into a leaf. And I always saw it. I always thought it was really kind of cool, but I just thought it was something he found somewhere. And then <laughs> down there, and he had a like a a carving of a Saka squatch made out of stone. No way. They set up a Saka squatch shrine. He did it to bust my balls. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Is why he did it. Which by the way, I broke it. Um, <laughs> oh. But anyways, I got him a new one made, but then I was like, wait a minute, where did you get this? He goes, Oh yeah. There's this guy that, you know, he hand carved soapstone up in, uh, up there in LeMay. 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 I never could say it right. I have to ask him. I don't know why I screwed that up. I think it's low. Le May, Le May, San Juan de Le May. Anyways, and uh, I said, oh, well, I, I got to hook up with this guy. And I started saying to him, hey, you know, you made these this ashtray. Have you ever made any others? He goes, yeah, I made a few. And I'm like, well, could you make it bigger? Could you make it look more like a tobacco leaf? Could we do this? Could we do that? And uh, he made me a few samples, and they turned out pretty good. And I said, hey, would you be interested in making 500 of these? And his eyes lit up like it was Christmas. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, basically, it provided him and three other men full time work for four months. All they did was wow, wow. that's, that's awesome. awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Do you know how long it takes them to from start to finish to make one? Um, so in a given week, they can make between the four of them. They make about twenty five. Okay. Because wow. There's like, there's like, they all do different things, right? Mm -hmm. They all like quarry the stone together, right? Except the head honcho guy. And then like two of them do like the machete work, but then they all kind of share in the polishing and the simple chiseling. And then there's one guy that does the more elaborate chiseling, you know, for the logo on the bottom. So this is not the ashtray you're getting. This is actually, this is kind of one of the funny things I've learned about the ashtrays. Look, they're all different stone, right? So they're all natural. Yeah. Some of them weigh as much as four pounds. And other ones only weigh about two and a half pounds. Oh wow! They feel light, 
the lighter ones are the ones that are more colorful. So the really colorful stone is the lighter stone. And the heavier ones are the ones that are almost pure white. They're much more so. This one is not the one you're getting, but I already know this is a pure white one, or I expect it to be because this is a heavier ashtray. And uh, and I actually brought this one home because I gave the one away that was on my desk. So, you know, yeah, and this is. This is one that's more of a, a white color. But I think they did an amazing job. And uh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have them make more. Um, but you understand, I didn't sell these. Yeah. So for me, I ended up basically giving them to retailers when they bought something. Oh, so okay. I used it as a, hey, buy $1,000 worth of wholesale and I'll give you, you know, an ashtray kind of deal. Right. So the, so it's not like for me, it's kind of a, I lose money on the ashtrays basically at this point. And I'm not really interested in being in the ashtray business, but I'd like to give these people more work. So therefore, um, I'm almost through all of the 500. Um, we held back about 50 for things like this to give them away on podcasts and, you know, so to use cool. them for charity things and, and whatnot. And, you know, but uh, yeah, so this is, this one's almost perfectly white. This one. Dang. Probably gonna look very white with the light. Yeah, it, it does yeah. have some color to it, but this one actually, this one's actually a lot more attractive than it looks. It's got a little bit of purple speckling in it, but this oh, one's neat. super, super heavy. Um, the ones that are more pinkish and purplish, those ones are physically lighter. Um, I don't know which I prefer. I don't know whether I like the ones that feel heavier and more stone, or I like the ones that are super colorful and are physically lighter. Um, I'd love to be able to say, well, I want the color that's heavy, but it's natural <laughs> stone, so it works the way it works. So I don't get to make that decision. But the ashtray I selected to give away tonight is one of the more colorful ones. All right. Well, let, let's go ahead and uh, share this uh, share this screen here, and we will do the uh, we will pick pick the winner here. Now you got you got to be listening. So we're gonna uh, we'll um, let's see. Start collecting comments. Can you see it, Care? I can. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. Let's see who. Did I see Ronnie's name go by? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Carl. Carl Knighton. So is Carl. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll wait. We'll wait here. Carl is a uh, Carl, Carl. Are you let still? Us know you're still on. You know, I'm. I'm assuming he's still on. If he if he tightened that uh, or typed that in, so we'll wait till. Well, you had Carl. to type it like 20 minutes. Yeah, ago. yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, so we'll see uh Carl, Carl, you still uh still with us? So we're going to wait to see uh if if he if he chimes in here. He like walked away. Yeah, walk, walked walked like, away and uh, yeah, here's the deal. You just get me yeah. Carl's address yeah. and mail it to me. And, yeah, uh, we'll get the ashtray out the same day you get me the address. Oh, he's there. Oh, there he is. He's there. Okay, so yeah. Congratulations. So Ke Kevin at cigarprop.com, send me your info, and we'll definitely um, um get definitely get you see. get you that. Uh, nice. that Kevin at cigarprop, no hyphens, no anything in it. No, nothing. Kevin at cigarprop.com. We we make everything easy here. Our giveaways. I don't have this bucket and then make you 
do a bunch of stuff with Instagram and yeah, we, we try and make it as simple, yeah. simple as possible. Um, I want to talk about something that, that um, you had mentioned uh, a couple of times on Cigar Reviewers and you, you had mentioned in a post um, you're annoyed that we that we talk about the seams of the cigars being invisible or or tight. What what, what else is annoying you about? I, I have my annoyances with cigar reviewers and well, bloggers. Are you, are you kidding? Yeah. <laughs> so and, so and let me say this, and that and that's somebody that gets treated well. Yeah, I can't, I can't imagine what it's like for some of the other brand owners. I mean, other brand owners get dragged through the mud. They they, they got to be like just absolutely livid. I'm very. It's kind of funny. I'm very. Um, I'm kind of. It is what it is when it comes to cigar reviewers. Um, I've always been of the perspective that cigar reviews are a snapshot. They're an individual person, or maybe three or four persons' perspectives or points of view. They're often based on just a singular experience. Um, I think that, so I don't tend to take it all that, I don't take an individual thing very to heart. Um, for the most part, what I what I look at is the consistency. I mean, an overall, I, I don't even know if we've ever gotten a score below an 88. Um, and we tend to get an awful lot of 90s and we tend to end up on an awful lot of people's top lists every year. I mean, that's the reason why Dunbarton has, been in the top three of the consensus every single year since we started the company. I don't know whether that'll be a true of 2022, but it has been true since 2015. Um, so I get treated really, really well by cigar reviewers. Um, and oddly enough, I'm probably one of the people that's the most vocal publicly about cigar reviewers. There's, uh, there's a few other people that are, mm -hmm. um, but I'm probably one of the more vocal people. And um, I think most people are afraid to engage with the media in that way because they feel if they're in any way combative that it's going to end up resulting in them getting bad reviews. But just the same way as I, I extend them the good faith that I think they're giving their honest opinion, I think that they extend me the same good faith that I'm sharing what my honest opinion is about something. Um, and look, I understand part of the issue for you guys on the media side of things is uh, you have to come up with a million words to make things interesting. And yeah. we don't talk about cigars and tobacco that way at the, at the factory level or in pre-industry. Uh, our lexicon of terminology is much simpler. You can probably distill it down to like maybe 30 words. Uh, the problem with 30 words is it doesn't make for very interesting posts because that would mean that every review you read would always sound the same. So, <laughs> I mean, uh, but I, I find that I, I think that most cigars can be reviewed in a paragraph. I really do. I think in a single paragraph, you can pretty much describe what a cigar is or isn't. And I think in another paragraph, you can describe the construction elements of whether it burned well, drew well, you know, held its combustion level so it didn't need constant relights. So I think I think two paragraphs, one paragraph focused on the construction and another paragraph focused on the flavor and the strength. I think you really can pretty much really have all that you need. But I don't know that that obviously that doesn't work 
for people that do websites or do blogs. And it's, I mean, basically <laughs> what I'm saying is I can accomplish a cigar review in a minute. And I don't think it lets you hit your YouTube numbers. You know what I mean? Oh, exactly. What, what is, is there one thing that you wish they would stop deducting points for, for people that do points now? So like, like we, I love Boston. I'll tell, that I, I, I'll tell you what I think is unfair. Yeah. I think, I think, I don't think it's right to put everything on price point alone. Yeah. I, I think, I think you kind of have to put price points more in a category. I expect something much different from a two to $4 cigar than I expect from a five to $7 cigar from an eight to 11, $12 cigar from a 12 to $15 cigar from a $15 and up cigar. I think that, I think that there are definitely, now there's some that, shouldn't be in the price point they're in and should be down a price point. I think there's others that are like, I think Aldinos are a tremendous value as a consumer. Honestly, I think that you're getting a hell of a lot of cigar for your money in Aldino. Do I think an Aldino is a worthy of being an 18, $20 cigar? No, I don't. Okay. Could it be? Sure. They could make an 18, $20 Aldino, but I think for the price point you're getting, I think you're getting a much better cigar. I think you're getting a tremendous value. I feel the same way about Umbagog. I think for eight bucks when you smoke an Umbagog, I think that's a hell of a steal. Mm-hmm. Um, when you pay $18 for a Sin Compromiso, I think you're paying the right price. I don't think that you're getting a tremendous value, but I also don't think you're getting raked over the coals either. I think that that price for what that is is appropriate for that product. And I, I find that whole – look, consumers – they determine their own price. Everybody decides what they feel is a good value for their money. And it's only relative to them. And it's not just relative to their wallet size, but how they like to spend their money. You know what I mean? There are certain things that we as individuals are willing to spend more money on that somebody else would never spend money on. Mm -hmm. Um, I like wristwatches. Okay. I'm willing to spend money on a really nice wristwatch. Okay. But I privately can understand anybody that said to me, why the hell would you do that? That makes no damn sense at all. My phone keeps better time. How a cheap uh, Timex quartz <laughs> keeps better time than even the most accurate of mechanical watches in the world. You know what I mean? So I, I think, I think the whole price thing, when you, when you start trying to make everything based on the price of something, I, I I I don't I don't get that. That doesn't make sense to me. The only price that makes sense to me is: Does the individual consumer are they satisfied with their purchase? Do they feel like they're getting their money's worth? Are they happy with the experience? Whether they spent six dollars on a Charter Oak or whether they spent thirty-five dollars on this Opus X, whatever. How do they feel about their purchase? That that's the relative factor to me. Um, so I, I find I find distilling everything into price is a little bit annoying. Some people do it like, look, uh, the developing pallets guys, the way the price, that whole price per point thing, that's a really heavy determiner in the way they do their scoring. But as much as I don't understand their scoring and I harp about it all the time, I ultimately don't care because it's their site and it's the way they do it and they do it consistently and they stay true to who they are. And for that... I admire that part of it. I just don't think the score means anything to the consumer. It just doesn't translate in a way that makes sense. Just the same way as I think one of the things that drives me crazy about reviewers is 
it's like almost everything is an 86 to an 89. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like we basically, we have a hundred point scale of which we use approximately 10 points of. Yeah. The mass majority. Half wheel does a better job. You will see some cigars that get a 70 on half wheel, but you know, as well as I know, there's some cigars that deserve a 12. Okay? <laughs> they really are. I mean, there definitely are some cigars. And there's a lot of cigars that deserve a – I mean, if you want to go on a numerical grade, there's a lot of Cs out there, okay? Yeah. Yeah, they're adequate. They're satisfactory. Did they do the job? Fine. You know what I mean? But a 74 really in our market's kind of like an 86 or an 87. You know what I mean? So there's no, there's no consistency from reviewer to reviewer. Not that there should be. The only place you see the consistency – is within the individual reviewer. So I know that when I see a cigar on half wheel that gets over a 90, they really, really liked it. Yeah. Okay. Um, I know, <laughs> like, I don't even pay attention to Coop's score. I just go to see whether he recommends whether you should buy a single. If he says you should buy a single, it means he didn't like it. Okay. Yeah. Buy one to try. That's him saying he didn't essentially like it. When he really likes it, he'll say buy a box. Now, what I do know is, Coop's palette doesn't align with my palette. Okay. So there's a lot of things that Coop really likes that for me, I'm like, I don't want to fucking smoke that. Okay. But that's my, that's my inherent bias of what I like to smoke in a cigar versus what he likes to smoke in a cigar. And I think the more you read Coop's reviews, the better a sense you get of what Coop likes and what Coop doesn't like. Okay. So it's one of the reasons why, I like the whole consensus thing at the end of the year. Yeah. Because even though it's flawed, they're all flawed. It's probably the least flawed because it's the one that uses the most reviewers from the most places to try to come up with something. And I think the other thing too is, and I've never been very, so where a lot of manufacturers will beat up on a reviewer for a bad review I don't tend to do that. I might offer counterpoints to factual things, but I just kind of take it in stride. But at the same time, I haven't really gotten very many bad reviews. Mm -hmm. So it's easy to say that when I'm not getting shat upon, right? <laughs> um, right. So, um, but I also don't put a lot of stock in it either. Um, I don't feel as though, oh, wow, I got such and such on pick a name i don't even care you know what i mean it doesn't really matter yeah like oh my god i'm now going to be able to use that as a sales tool and i'm going to sell a bazillion cigars because boston jimmy really loved it or coop really loved it or aaron really loved it or you really loved it i mean in the end what you're hoping is you're hoping that the reviews and the media coverage will make a consumer try it on their own Okay, and we'll afford you that opportunity to let that individual consumer decide whether to like or not like. And 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 even when you go to the, the top list, I mean, if you go back and you look at the top list from a decade ago, even five years ago, you look at some of the cigars that were really high in that top 20, even on consensus list, they're dead brands that didn't sell. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's a, so getting high on these lists don't ultimately determine your success in any way whatsoever. Um, they can help. They can hurt. But in the end, the product is the product. And the cigar smoker is the cigar smoker. And people will ultimately make their own determination. 
And I think the other thing too is, I think for a lot of consumer, a lot of, you also have to understand that a lot of the media guys are also very heavy consumers of cigars. So they're not really, they're not really a reflection of the typical cigar consumer who might smoke two or three a week. You know what I mean? That consumer that smokes two or three a week, what he considers to be strong, you guys will often consider to be too mild. You know what I mean? Because it's they have a totally different frame of reference. I mean, if you if you eat hot shit all the day, all the time, you eat you you can take it, right? Yeah. Someone that you know occasionally smokes a cigar, smoke a cigar on the golf course once a week, nice. you smoke, smoke a cigar on your back deck on Friday night while you're having that beer. Uh, the way they perceive it is much, much different than the way someone who smokes four or five cigars every single day mm-hmm. is going to perceive it. And I, I, so I think that I think it's one of these things where I think you just have to like take them for information, interesting, intriguing, try to identify the reviewers who you most closely align with and tend to give those more stock than the others. But there isn't any one reviewer that I would say. I mean, look, we all know Charlie Minato prefers milder cigars. He prefers cigars that have additional age on them. He tends to lean much more towards the Davidoff Cuban-esque style of cigars when it comes to his favorite cigars. I know that if Meet K. Rita Tricky Traca number 448, which got a 93, that's because Patrick Legreed <laughs> had Charlie smoked it. I probably would have gotten an 88 or an 89 on that cigar. You know what I mean? Because, and that, and I could be wrong about that, but I'm just looking at a general track record of, I know what Patrick tends to prefer. and I know what Charlie tends to prefer. And the, the thing is, neither of them are wrong, right? Because it's very yeah. personal as to what you like. And I, I think that's kind of the way I am about it. Is I'm I'm very kind of laissez faire. Is that is that is that how you say that? Yeah, yeah. About that, boy, not bad for high school dropout. <laughs> yeah, you know. So Ke- Kevin and Karen and I did a couple blind reviews, and I feel like that is the honest that you could get because we had no idea what we were smoking. And I and I and that's one of the things I like about Blinds Man's Puff. Yeah, um, yeah. Because they do all of those blind. Yeah. Um, you know, and that definitely makes a difference, you know, when you do the cigar reviews blind, because look, branding matters. Mm-hmm. Look, I, I, I obviously get a little bit of a benefit from a lot of, a lot of reviewers. They probably give me a little bit more leeway, um, or maybe it works against me because maybe they're expecting more, mm-hmm. like everything I make should be better, you know? So maybe, maybe the bar is too high. I don't know. What I do know in the end is that the consumers make the final determination. Yeah. They either buy it or they don't buy it, and do they buy it on a regular basis? And ultimately, that's what says whether something is successful in the marketplace or not successful. All right. One last question before we let you go uh, tonight. Um, room 101, selling to uh, STG. Mm-hmm. Th- thoughts? Um, I, I, uh, there, there's been a lot of a lot of, you know, one way or the other. Um, I personally think it's it's good. I think it's going to allow Matt to grow. But what are your what are your thoughts on? So I think first off, I'm happy for Matt. Um, I I think it's probably look. I ultimately don't know how it's going to work out in the long run, but I think it's probably a good place for Matt to go. 
Um, I think it gives him resources that he's never had. I think that we all like Matt as a person. Um, but look, Matt's been on a hard grind. I mean, he's been doing this for 15 years. Um, he's had some real highs and he's had some real lows and he's been through a bunch of different distribute distribution channels. I mean, he was with, he was with the Aroas in the beginning with Christian and then he was with Davidoff and then he was kind of out on his own in the wilderness trying to do it all himself. And then he kind of went and ended up having La, the La Polina people end up being this distributor. And I mean, that's a lot of upheaval in 15 years and it makes it, it makes it really, really difficult. And the things that Matt are really good at is he's really good at engaging with consumers. And he's really good at making unique brands. And I think along the way, there have been some definitely good one-on-one cigars, right? Oh, yeah. Um, but sometimes those ones that were really good didn't catch. You know what I mean? Yeah. Matt has never ended up hitting on a brand that had long-term, like really, like really, like a he never he never hit upon a Liga Pravada. He never hit upon uh, you know, he never hit upon a Macanudo or a CAO Brazil or something that kind of got him into that La Florida Minicana, got him into that next tier. You know what I mean? Yeah. And 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 that's and that's not necessarily the fault of Matt, nor is it necessarily the fault of the cigars. There's a lot of variables involved, and I think that uh, and I think it's a really challenging and trying industry. And I think that this is an opportunity that probably makes a lot of sense. Um, so I, I, I wish, first off, I'm happy that I'd much rather see Matt stick around than Matt go away. Um, look, this is going to be a brutal couple of years coming up, folks. Yeah. It really is. I mean, this economy is slowing down. The market is full of products. Um, you have an awful lot of new companies and brands trying to launch and introduce into this market. You have retailers that are pretty jaded um, from their experiences with a lot of us smaller brand makers that make them reluctant to give shelf space. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be, and look, it's been really challenging. It's been challenging. And then the FDA part on top of it has just made it even more challenging so I, I think this is a good fit. I, I, I feel as I, though. I now, think Matt does a ton of other things as well. I mean, mm -hmm. he's an artist too, you know, and he does his jewelry. And I think he's actually possibly doing something with makeup. I'm not, he didn't really, yeah. he didn't like confirm <laughs> yeah. that, but I know he's doing some other creative stuff. So, you know, he's going to be fine, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Back to that whole keyboard thing. I, I just don't understand how people can be so judgmental when they don't understand what is really involved. Yeah. And they don't know the economics. They don't know the amount of work. They don't know the obligation to his family. They don't right. have any understanding right. of the risk that's involved. I mean, I, I just, I find it, I find it really, I find it really peculiar how <coughs> judgmental people are about this. Um, I mean, one of the facts in our business is you don't make much money. And oftentimes the only way you as a cigar manufacturer or brand owner actually end up walking away with your hide is to get bought out. That is what ultimately has to happen. I can tell you right now, Drew Estate was probably in desperate need time when they sold the Swisher. And that's even with a really big company. You know what yep. I mean? It doesn't. 
it's it's really expensive to run an operation like that. I mean, and there's there's a lot involved in it, and I think that uh, I think it's easy for consumers to to snipe from their keyboards without having any understanding of what it's like to be in those people's shoes. And you know, part of it's our fault too, because looks, you know, you, you have that, and I'm not saying this is the case of Matt. Okay. So this is a non Matt conversation. <laughs> yeah. But there is a tendency to fake it till you make it because retailers only want to carry brands that are successful. You know what I mean? And so that puts a lot of pressure and it becomes it becomes quite a churn and burn, and I think and look I've been very I, I did that show as the Cigar Authority, and I think by all outside measures I think we're doing wonderfully well as a small company, but the reality is we're still not making very much money. Yeah, I, mean, we're, I, I actually I actually lost money in the month of June, um, so I mean I think not a lot I think I lost nine k, and that's with us still selling a lot of cigars. <laughs> You know, just the way the expenses ended up falling, you know, Saka spent this much on tobacco. He had to spend this much on this and that. Boom, boom, boom. Next thing you know, okay, we did well in the month of June sales-wise. But guess what? At the end of the month, when you add it all up, I lost money in the month of June. Just the way it was. Part of doing business, you know. So even when you're doing great, <laughs> it doesn't necessarily mean you're doing great, you know. Yeah. No, oh, I, I I know I know how that goes. I, I look at my books one month and you're way. I'm like, oh my god, look at the money we made. And the next month they're like, oh, that's right. I had to write those. <laughs> I had to write those yeah. checks. Yeah, that's yeah. what. Uh, yeah, so. and we just and we we package all of our own stuff and like we have to get the kids sometimes. Like, <laughs> yeah. we just what ten ten o'clock in the morning to like six o'clock at night. That's all we did. Yeah, the other yeah the other day all. Us and the two teenage kids, like All packaging stuff. I had to, if I had to pay people, I'd have done even worse. Yes. Yeah, so. <laughs> so. I think it's one of the reasons why I've always been so careful to, I, I never say I won't sell. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because I don't know what the future holds. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't know what ultimately is going to happen. I have, I have no clue. I can tell you one thing that happened to me today that shocked the hell out of me. I new vehicle finally came in. I've been waiting eight months, right? Oh, what'd you get? Which is good because my truck died again on me. Is at the oh point. god! So what did you end up getting? I wanted to. I wanted to. You know, I was like, okay, I was going to pay cash for it. But look, I look at the economy. Going, should I really spend that much money cash? Would it not make more sense just to go ahead and take a loan on it, and then if things work out fine and the economy, you know, doesn't go into the shitter, I can then just pay off the loan. Well, guess what? I got the highest commercial loan for a commercial vehicle. I got a I got a, an interest rate that was almost close to twenty percent today, quoted to me. Holy shit! What? I have not seen I have not seen a commercial vehicle oh. loan like that since nineteen eighty two. That was the last time I saw a number like that. It stunned me, and like and I'm like when the guy put it in front of me, like, are you kidding me? Now that was me going through a commercial bank through the dealer. I couldn't talk to my bank today because it was Juneteenth and Juneteenth. Yeah. For clothes. So tomorrow morning, I'm going to go to my bank, and I know it's going to be better than that, obviously. Yeah. But I mean, just yeah. the fact that this this random commercial loan for someone with a over 800 credit score is near 20 points is mind numbing to me. That that but what that tells me it tells me that they're already getting a lot of defaults. Yeah, yeah. that's what it means because yeah. this I, is exactly the way it was in the late 70s, early 80s. 
that doesn't make me feel warm and fuzzy as someone that manufactures something that is a luxury product. You know what I mean? Yeah. Does yeah. this mean that uh, consumers aren't going to be buying me Rita blocks? They're going to be buying a hell of a lot more of some CI no name bundle because it costs three dollars <laughs> to smoke that. I mean, I don't I don't know how to read it, but that's not a good sign. You know what I mean? So I mean, it, it's just. It's the same thing like this PCA trade show. I'm going into it. I want to be optimistic, but I don't ultimately know what it's going to be like when I actually get there. I won't know until I'm on the ground and I see it. I mean, every year we've done better. Every show, every show, because we've grown as a company. Maybe this will be the first year where we don't grow. Maybe this will be a year that I go to the trade show and I actually shrink. I really have no way to judge it. Now, overall in the year, we're doing quite well. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're running about 30 points up year to date. So that's fantastic. But what will the second half of the year be like? Because right. guess what? I got more com money committed to the second half of the year than I had to the first half of the year. Because normally we get the bulk of our sales starting, you know, uh, typically starting right around middle of April through like November. So, I mean, and I think anyone that's being honest with you, April sales weren't as strong as they normally are. And May sales weren't as strong. For us, they were good, but we're such a small company. We're on such an upward trajectory. I think we did better than most on a relative basis. But I'm not immune from the economy. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And in the end, if consumers decide to pull back and look, and how do you deal with, I mean, we all are at the gas pump and we're all buying groceries and I paid more for heating oil this year than I've ever, I like literally almost double each of these winter months than I have in the past. And I mean, I just, just airline tickets to go to the PCA this year. were just absurd. I can't, I wonder how the retailers are going to deal with that. Did they get online? They went to American airlines or Delta and they plugged the ticket in. They go, I ain't going to that. Yeah, because, we just mm -hmm. just us flying to yeah, the, it was, the it Red was Meat Lovers Club. Eleven hundred bucks just yeah. to, for us to fly up to yeah. Jersey for the yeah. two of you. Yeah. yeah, that was good. Was it? That, that's, that's, it's been it's more in the last few years that I paid. Well, way more than the last few years. What I'm saying is like yeah, the tickets that we got from Boston to Vegas, we didn't get a single ticket for less than nine hundred and eighty dollars. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Holy crap. I mean, wow. and, yeah. I mean, so. Uh, yeah, I mean, these things all have a cumulative effect. Yeah. You know, so I don't know how the consumers are going to respond. Are they going to go down in price point? Are they just going to stay in their same price point but smoke less? Are they going to cut back in other parts of their life and say, well, fuck it. Cigars are comparatively real, an inexpensive thing compared to the other things. Right. I'm not going to buy a motorcycle this year, but I'm going to keep smoking the cigars I like, and I'm going to keep drinking the coffee I like, or are they going to start looking for budget coffee and budget cigars? And Well, it's uh, funny that you say that because like, we'll, we'd probably never cut back on cigars, but we would cut back on yeah, like, food, <laughs> soda, yeah. like, you know, yeah. certain things we would just be like, oh, okay, like, let's yeah. just have less of that and more All right and, and look and that's the other question are my consumers different yeah yeah are my consumers more the type that'll be like okay i'm this is where i'm going to spend my money and i'm going to cut back on something else or are my consumers um are they not as impacted by it as much if you're a guy that's smoking 
you know, sin compromisos. Uh, it's like, I can say yeah. from a personal point of view, had I had to pay these gas prices 25, 30 years ago, it would have been a real problem at the kitchen table. We would yeah. have really had to sit down and figure out what are we doing here? Yeah. Now I go to the pump, I cringe, I bitch, I gasp, but I can afford it. And I still yeah. put the gas in the truck and I still drive the truck where I want to drive the truck to. Right. Yeah. That's the luxury yeah. that 56 that year old Saka has. That is not the luxury that 28 year old Saka has. <laughs> no, I, I okay? agree. So, I agree. Uh, you know, so, and, and, and that's the situation for everybody. Everybody is so. I really, I have no ideas to what is ultimately coming around the corner, and, uh, and look, it makes me, it makes me apprehensive. Yeah, Chris Duque yeah. will cut back on ice cream. And yeah, donuts. that's it. So, <laughs> all right, so Steve, thank you. Three hours of, of your of your Monday night. We definitely appreciate you coming, definitely. hanging out with us. You, you definitely need to go get some sleep now. Go, go relax. <laughs> oh, that's what I was doing. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Th thanks again, and uh, and we'll we'll definitely see you next time. All right. Make sure you get me Carl's uh, yep. address. Oh yeah, he's already commented again. So yeah, uh, if he's still watching, Kevin at cigarprop.com. And uh, Steve, we will see you next time around. Uh, care okay, any please. final questions, thoughts for no, Steve? Uh, no. I mean, yeah. what, what what am I going to add to this whole conversation? <laughs> I do have a question. Yeah. Why is there this one bubble up here that says 99 cents? Oh, somebody the... somebody uh Oh, oh, somebody donated 99 cents to us. So they like Would you yeah, like part of that? Yeah, you can Steve? do uh super you can do, gas, Steve. You can do super chat so people can donate money. <laughs> and what what's he what, what did he get for his buck? Hey, it's red and says 99 cents with his picture. What he got for his his buck was the he, he was saying yeah. thank you for yeah. Doing the show and he appreciates what we're doing and listening to you is basically yeah. why he did that. So I don't know whether first off, thank you very much for the dollar. Yeah. That means that everybody else didn't like it because they wouldn't even give you 99 cents. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't even like us enough to give us a full dollar. So that's just, <laughs> no, you know, not 99 awesome. cents. So yeah. yeah. All right, Steve. Thank you very much. You have a great night, man. All right, guys. Have a good one. See we, so Karen and I welcome uh Howard G of Howard G Cigars to the show. Um, I smoked one of his cigars first in uh, one of the Corona Cigar of the Month clubs. Absolutely loving the cigar. So we reached out to him. He's going to be on the show with us um next week. Remember, if you're interested in uh, any I tap that cigar merchandise, head over to cigar prop website, cigarprop.com or tap that cigar.com. Uh, uh, care Stogie Road Cigars, VSR Cigar uh, links in the description below. Make sure you're following all of us on all the social medias. Producer Jessica, Kevin at Cigar Prop, Care, Stogie Road Cigars. Links in the video description below. Once again, we really want to thank all of our partners for supporting the show. I always say it, but we really, really can't make this happen without them. Um, so please check the show notes down below. Check out their links. Um, thank you, JC Newman Cigars, Cigar Medics, Amendola Cigars. We are the muscle. Excelsior Tobacco's makers of the Dona Lidia, uh, Dona Lidia GTO cigars, those who know, smoke GTO, Corona Cigar, and of course, Drew Estate and Experience Acid. Care, leave everybody with a final thought. This show was fantastic. And oh my God. But life is short. 
So grab a buddy and smoke a cigar. Perfect. See everybody next week.